Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the TetraCast. This is RPG Site's weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. My name is Brian Vitali. Joining me, I've got the usual crew here today. We have Josh Torres. Week. We have Adam Vitali. Hello. We have James Galizio. There's too many games. Send help. And we have Chow Min Wu. Help. All right. So we have talked about on this podcast on several occasions how big a, of a month February was. And we are just now approaching, you know, that fireball right now. But alongside that, on top of that, we got this surprise Nintendo Direct this last week. And I guess if you look back at the history, Nintendo Directs are very, very regularly in the January of February of every year. So this is one of those things where people probably were expecting it. But they're always kind of a fun time for our site because they're announced a day or two later. They're held out of all the console publishers for our site's coverage. Usually Nintendo Directs have the most stuff of relevance to us. Of course, anyone listening to this podcast probably already knows all the announcements of the Nintendo Direct. But we're going to go through all the uh, all the details and announcements that are relevant to us, kind of go into our impressions and what we thought of the surprises from there. On top of the Nintendo Direct this week, we also do have the Steam Next Fest. And both of those events came with a list of kind of dropped demos for both games that are coming out soon and a little bit further out. And I know a few of us have spent some time poking at some of the demos that have come out both with the Nintendo Direct on Switch and with the Steam Next Fest on Steam. And then, of course, we're going into the back half of February somehow already, and we're going into a lot of games releasing within the next week or so. So we're going to dive pretty much right into that. So we have a lot. We have a couple features on the site. We have a lot of demos that we've played. We've got all the news from the Nintendo Direct. We're going to start out here with one of the games that is the earliest of this fireball of releases that are coming out in February. And that is something that I know a few of us have been anticipating for quite a while. And that is Labyrinth of Galleria. So we've talked about this game in a few uh, instances on this podcast. Obviously, James played it when it came out in Japanese. He also put up a, a little bit of a footage video up on our YouTube channel for it a few weeks back. But as for the official English release that is coming out this week, Adam has been looking at the game for us, and we wanted to give him a chance to talk about it, though I do think Adam will go into detail about why that is actually a, a little bit more difficult of an assignment than it might originally seem. Yeah, so here's the thing. If I were to spoil like one or two or three components of Labyrinth of Galleria, you still would have no idea what goes on in that game because it's it makes so many the the story and the narrative and the way that it proceeds is very dynamic and there's a lot that goes on. So a couple of years ago, James put up a piece saying, "I hate why I can't talk about this game," and that's kind of the reason. So perhaps that's a spoiler in itself that the game does not isn't what it actually is isn't what it appears to be on its face. Take that as you will. Like that's maybe a minor spoiler, but trust me, you'll have no idea where this game is going when you start it. So that makes it hard to talk about in terms of like what the game like is, but I can give the premise. So Labyrinth of Galleria, it's a follow up to Labyrinth of Refrain that released like three or four or five years ago. And it's not a sequel, though, because it stars a whole new set of characters. So you can you don't have to play Labyrinth of Refrain to play this one. I have beaten the game. Now, I haven't beaten like the post game, and it's one of those sorts of titles where there's more story in the post game. So it's like, well, so I don't have a full picture of everything yet, but a pretty complete picture. So this is a dungeon crawler. So first person dungeon crawler, you know, in the realm of like Etrian Odyssey or Wizardry, where you run on a map tile by tile, step by step in a first person mode. 
what sets these games a little bit apart from other dungeon crawlers is that you don't just have a party of like six, you know, classes like wizard, warrior, whatever. Instead, you control like an army of puppets and you put your puppets into what is called a coven, which is like a group. And you have five groups that fight rather than five units. And there's various different styles of groups that are like groups that are meant that have like three slots for attackers or sloops groups that have more like spell kit, spell based magic attached to them and things like that. So I bring that up first because that's kind of in terms of the gameplay side of things, that's where these games are most unique. They're not just like a wizardry or an Etrian game. They're a little bit different. And as for the story, you play as a as a teenage girl named Eureka and you are you start the game, you head to a manor that is sort of like out in the wilderness. It's not a very populated manor. There's not a lot of people around it. It's only just nearby a small town. But it's home to a lot of basically a count who is into art. And there is a witch there who is looking into a labyrinth underneath these this manor, looking for this these magical art pieces that are called curio or the or more fancy curio de art and you basically are hired on to be to be apprenticed to the witch to find these curio in this labyrinth underneath this manor and that is just like the tip top of the surface of what happens in this game so is there any like do you have any immediate questions just about about this game before I go? My, I guess my, my question is, is on a narrative front, you've basically painted the picture that this is a difficult game to talk about. If you've played the first game, is that kind of like the expectation? Like, oh, this is the sort of game that subverts that thing. Or does it kind of just do no. something different from the first game? When you compare the narratives of the first and second games, they are structured quite a bit differently. This game is the story just being broad here. It, quite a bit more intricate there's more moving parts there's more that's going on in the first game not to summarize the whole first game here now but you are playing as different characters Dranya and luca going to this town and exploring the labyrinth there and then over that game you kind of slowly over the course of the game learn about who these characters are and their past and basically why they are you know with each other why do they act this way towards each other and it's a little bit more straightforward it is revealed to you in a surprising way, perhaps. But this game, there's a lot of twists. There's a lot of things that you don't see coming. And so it's quite a bit trickier to talk about in terms of Is that. the basic st- structure narrative flow like Labyrinth or Fainbird? Like you reach a certain, like, you dive into the labyrinth, then you get to a certain, like, checkpoint in the labyrinth, and then that'll unlock a new story scene. So you go back, exit the labyrinth to see the new story scene, and then they'll give you another objective, like dive further into the labyrinth and get to this spot to see the next story beat. Broadly, yes, but it does switch things up a little bit sometimes. Okay. But broadly, yes, you go to the labyrinth, you fight a boss, then you move out of the, you know, you move out and you see a scene or two and then so on. But there are, it is a little bit different. Now, I think the game is pretty good. It does have a different flavor to it than the original. So definitely more story heavy for sure. Yeah. It's longer. The first game is pretty long. I think the first game is like 60, 70 hours. But this game I'm at, this game I'm at like 80 hours, I think. And that's not including the post game. <clears throat> Just as a comment, the post game in the original game in Labyrinth of Refrain, it's okay, but it w- did feel kind of unnecessary. And I, w- I would I would be totally fine if someone just decided they didn't want to play it. 
but it seems like the post game in in Galleria is uh, more interesting or more complete. Um, yeah, I was actually talking to James. I beat the game, and I was just like, I feel I feel like just a little bit disappointed in terms of like I feel like you know I, I'm not satisfied. And then James was like, well, the post game you kind of have to play that. I'm like, oh, okay, that that feels a little bit different to me. I know I haven't played the gallery post game yet so i can't speak to it but i can speak to the point right up to it whereas in in the first in refrain i honestly could suggest you don't need to play the post game unless you really like the game and you want to just keep playing but otherwise so that's where i'm at so the review embargo went up yesterday and i could have reviewed it you know up to the end credits i saw the credits but i was like you know what i can take another couple days a week to to play the post game get the full picture and write it up one thing it is interesting to see, like earlier this month, when I posted the monthly uh, schedule of RPGs that I do every month on Twitter, there did seem to be a fair bit of excitement for a game like this. You don't usually see that for these sorts of dungeon crawlers, but I think uh, word of mouth of the first game and perhaps word of mouth of this one's Japanese release have kind of reached a certain audience that likes these sort of games, and they're really interested in this one. Obviously, it's not as big as not, not nearly as big as going to be like Octopath or even Ishin, but even theater of them, <laughs> yeah, certainly. Got the whole Final Fantasy fan base there, but it's on our Twitter when I put out the the schedule. You know, a lot of people are like excited. You know, they're like saying what they're gonna, what they're interested in picking up or whatnot. Obviously, February is like a packed month. You know, a lot of people looking forward to Octopath, Ishin, even quite a bit of Wild Hearts. I've seen a lot of excitement for that. But yeah, Galleria too. So, if you think I've spoiled you on Galleria, trust me, I haven't. <laughs> There's a lot that happens that there's there are a few things that you can guess. Like one of the twists, I think, is pretty kind of evident almost immediately. But there are others that in a way they kind of feel like they come out of nowhere. But it, I'll put it this way. James was watching me stream this game briefly, maybe a week ago, and I was maybe like 40 hours in. And James asked me, like, what do you think? And my response at the time was, I have no idea what's going on. I'm 40 hours into this game and I have no idea what's going on. The game does leave you guessing, like probably eighty percent, eighty-five of the percent of the way through, where you, it is it is very mysterious. There's a lot of things that happen that aren't explained initially, and at times it may feel like you're sort of just getting dragged along. But I will say it does all eventually fall into place. I'm not sure if it all completely holds water in terms of like all, everything possibly explained that it should be, but it does fall into place where it's like where things make sense and like, oh, okay, so this is what actually happened and this is why it's phrased this way or or this happened in this. I guess, I guess my, my question is like, I guess you just, it seems like a game that you just have to have like sort of faith in it that it'll like reveal itself to you because I know for some people when you say, I have 40 hours and I still have no idea what's going on, I'm sure like a good chunk of people are going to be like, I don't know if I like the sound of that, you know? I mean, I'll be honest, when I was at that point, like, do I like this game? I don't know. Like, it kind of all hinges on how this is revealed here. Like, if the answer to the question, what is going on, is really unsatisfying and stupid, like, then, like, well, that was kind of a waste of time. And this is kind of where it gets a little bit tricky for me. I even just said, at the end of the game, I felt just a little bit unsatisfied. It was like, well, okay, it seems like there's a little bit more that I haven't seen. So, 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 now, so now, like, if we get to the question, like, okay, how long does post-game take? And now you're going to have to, like, invest another however right. many hours that post-game will take to maybe yeah. get an ending that, you know, like, you might or may not be satisfied with, you know? Yeah, I, I, I'm confident that Adam will like the, uh, the post-game's conclusion. It feels very, I guess the best way of putting it is cathartic. 
kind of like in the same way that in a similar way to how refrains and like base game ending just feels like cathartic. This, this is, I'll just put it this way. The ending, like the regular ending credits, a labyrinth of refrain. It isn't just a scrolling credits on a, you know, on a black backdrop, you know, like a, like a typical movie or game. Feels like an, a proper narrative conclusion. Yeah, but the ending, the regular ending credits of Galleria are just credits on a back on a black drop, on a black backdrop. There's like a quick little scene at the very end of the game that is the the end of the regular game, and it is a ending. But I just kind of like kind of comparing the ending to Galleria, the ending of Refrain to the ending of Galleria, just like not including post game. Just like man, the Refrain had a really satisfying. I don't know if cathartic is the right word, but it's it's close enough. Cathartic ending where Galleria's ending kind of just felt more typical to me. But it sounds like I'm missing a little bit here. So I won't go any further into that. But as for the game itself, it's really solid. Like the dungeon crawler aspects of it, it polishes up a few things from the first game. It's very similar. So if you played the original and if you liked it, you'll probably like this. If you didn't like the original, I don't know. I don't think this changes enough to like change your mind. Um, what are the big differences, if there were like any, to to you from the first game, uh, gameplay wise? It's it's actually hard for me to to remember. Like, was this exactly in the first game or not? <laughs> Some of the classes are a little different. There's a liberation skill for each union. I actually didn't use it very often, but it can be useful. It's how do I put this? Each union has like a little meter that charges, and once it's full, you can do like a special sort of attack. I'm pretty it's sure that's a limit break. Yeah, yeah I'm no. pretty sure that wasn't in the original. There's some. When you're exploring in the labyrinth, one of the thing, one of the small things that makes these dungeon crawlers also gives them a little bit of a different flavor compared to like a typical dungeon crawler is that you don't have to follow the labyrinthian maze. You can just bust down a wall if you want. If you just if you want to get to the next room over, but there's no door there, and in a, in a, if this if this is a typical dungeon crawler, you'd have to find your way around to get to the other side. In this game, just break the wall down. You can do it. Why not? Uh, it just costs a little bit of a resource to do it, but you can. Now, one thing that Galleria adds is that there are a couple of walls that once you break them down, they're broken permanently. And so it sort of acts like a shortcut. And so that's that's a small little nice thing where if you're revisiting a floor that you've already explored, it's a little bit easier to navigate the second time through because like, okay, before I kind of had to do this puzzle or go around this way or whatnot, but now I can just run through this wall that I broke down. So that's nice. I'm trying to think if there's any other major things there's you know different skills and different classes and things like that um the liberation skills which are basically like the union limit breaks can you think of anything james i'm trying to think of anything that wasn't in the original in terms of gameplay that was in this one there's some aspects there's like the sanity zones and you can go oh, underwater yeah. yeah that's underwater stuff is in a lot of games underwater means you can't use magic but in this game how it is is underwater you can just only spend so many steps underwater before you just you know suffocate so there's a couple little underwater zones where you have you have to like carefully map out your path to make sure you don't suffocate yeah and then there's these uh there's these insanity zones where it's sort of like underwater only once you take enough steps you just start taking damage uh but otherwise you know it's a really solid game in terms of just the dungeon crawling aspects of it a lot of the usual things that you would see in a dungeon crawler like this, like, you know, coordinating a party, you have to have your frontline attackers, you have to have your defenders, you have to have your, uh, you have to have some people with some magic to do, you know, your buffs and debuffs and whatnot, because those are very crucial in games like this. So, you know, on that side, it's really satisfying, just like most dungeon crawlers are. If you're not aware, I'm a big Etrian Odyssey fan for similar reasons. Obviously, this has a different feel than a Etrian Odyssey game, 
but from a basic, you know, dungeon crawling flavor, dungeon crawling, you know, genre, it's got those same sorts of ticks, the same boxes in my brain. It sounds like English dub, like the first game, right? Yes. I don't think it's as good as good. The first game's English voice acting was done by Bang Zoom, by yeah. the director there, who I think is pretty good. Yeah, this game's voice acting was done by Sentai, who generally isn't as good as Bang Zoom, in my opinion, in, in general. And I think it's just, it is a step down. It's Yeah, Refrain's uh, English dub was, like, notably, like, fantastic. Yeah, it's it's okay, but I don't, like, Refrain, I could say, like, yeah, it's really good, and I didn't even consider playing in Japanese. In this game, there were a few times where I was like, maybe I should just play this in Japanese. It, oh, it's man. not, the dub isn't bad, it's just kind of like, it's service. I, I mean, yeah, but it's like, it's a bummer, right? Because, like, I think that's one of the standout things from Labyrinth of Refrain to a lot of people is, like, the, the English dub was, like, it was really, really compelling. It was It was one of those things that, like, as I was playing through the game, it's, it's almost just like, as I'm playing through the game, I'm thinking to myself, this doesn't, this seemed a little bit lower quality than Refrain. Is it just me? I wonder, I wonder if it's the same studio and the same director, because that would be weird if it was like the same production, but it was worse. And then I finally get to the credits and I see that's done by Sentai instead of Bang Zoom. And it almost feels like justification in a way, like, oh, that explains it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure Sentai does good work, but it's like, okay, it just it is a different studio doing the ADR mm-hmm. and whatnot. So, but yeah, it's, it's okay. All um, right. So yeah, this week I'll probably play through the uh, post game. What uh, platform are you playing it on? I'm playing on PC. The okay. PC port is totally fine. I mean, it's a dungeon crawler with like visual novel like this presentation otherwise. So it wasn't. They're getting a PC specs for spoken. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'll, I'll return maybe next week with some thoughts just like on the post game. Obviously not spoilers, but just you know, okay. Yes, I believe the post game is necessary or completes my, you know, my expectations of the narrative or whatnot. But I think you'll you'll have a fuller picture, and you know, you'll you'll definitely help people because I know like a like probably a bunch of people are going to reach those credits, be like, okay, I'm done with the game without Mm -hmm. realizing, you know, that post game is more crucial here than you know, refrain. Well, thank you, Adam, for talking about the extent to the extent that you could labyrinth of Galleria. I guess this might be a very difficult assignment for you, but if someone hasn't played the the original game and doesn't know whether or not they should pick this up, why should someone pick pick up Galleria compared to the, the other litany of releases in the next couple of months? Galleria is really long, so it's a little bit of a barrier. So don't do it. No, that, that, that is a barrier to just like, yeah, I know. you know, suggesting it. Like, you should play this game. It's only 100 hours long, right? You may not even like it, but... If you like dungeon crawlers and want to play, yeah. If you, one, if, you, if you if you like Etrian Odyssey, if you like dungeon crawlers, you know I certainly think you should definitely try it. Either this game or Refrain. I will say this though, um, Galleria does have a really slow burn of an opening. Refrain does too, but Galleria I would say even more so. There's sort of a reason for that, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. Basically, the third. One way to look at it is like the first like 30 or so hours basically be- could be considered a tu- the yes. tutorial. The first I was about to say the exact same thing. We were on the same wavelength here. The first 30 hours of this game is basically a prologue. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> Adam, you, Adam you're supposed to you're, you're, you're going to tell me, oh, it gets good after 30 hours at that it's time of game? bad, then. It's just that the game is very much on a... It kind of ties into the narrative where it's like, you don't really know what's happening until like 
60, 70 hours in. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Good luck on like trying to like sell a now, new person. Story, <laughs> the, the way the story is delivered is really good. It's like some games have like Chekhov's gun. This has like Chekhov's arsenal. There's like all these little bits and pieces of info that are laid out. And then like all once it kind of clicks and it's like, wow, that was really that was handled really well. Just a slow burn for sure. There's a small thing I want to talk to James about, but I probably shouldn't for spoilers. Well, you can just ping me later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> this sounds like a scary game. <laughs> Refrain is a little bit more typical. I think Refrain, where I'm at right now, I think Refrain's like main characters are stronger. If I just had to talk about the characters themselves, Dranya and Luca, I think, are the stronger duo than Erika and other people in Galleria. But Refrain also has a pretty slow burn at the, top, at the front of it. Not as slow. And the way that the narrative is given in that game in that game is a little bit more typical. I would say Galleria, if you love like mysteries, if you love twists upon twists, if you love piecing things together, Galleria probably has more of that because where where refrain is a, is a bit more straightforward. You're not really piecing things together. It just is kind of just given to you more more traditionally. So, yeah, there's a little bit of a different each I would say for sure these games just the way their narratives are given. I'm not. I'm not saying that one is better than the other at this point. I'm saying the way that the narratives are delivered and structured and given is pretty different, and you may prefer one style or the other. Well, obviously, Labyrinth of Galleria is releasing in just a couple of days. I believe on Tuesday, the 14th. Do I have that right? <laughs> I think so. Yep. All right. And then, obviously, when Adam gets a chance to go through the post game to get his complete thoughts on the game, we'll likely see a review from him and potentially hear back from him on next week of the podcast. If we can make time between all the other games, we'll be likely playing in the next handful of weeks. So the next thing we'll talk about here is I kind of left this section a little bit open. Obviously, across the Steam Next Fest and the Nintendo Direct in the last week, a lot of new demos have dropped. So instead of listing a specific game to talk about here, I just kind of want to see, like, go around the room here. Who has poked out a few of the demos that have released on Switch or on Steam? I know that Josh in particular has played a good handful of them. I know Chow has as well. And I've poked out a particular one that I was interested in that was announced at the Nintendo Direct. So I'll hand it off to Josh first because I he just put up a list of how many games did you say you, demos you said you played? Like eight to uh, ten? Okay, so I played... So right now I'm like at 10 to 11-ish. I think I liked most of them. It was mostly Steam Next Fest demos, but I, you know, I did put up a feature on the site because we got early access to one of them. Adam, mm-hmm. about like a week and a half ago, he's like, hey, we got the offer for this Wandering Sword PC demo preview thing. And I'm like, oh, that's the that's the game that's like kind of doing that HD2D style, but it's Abusha Chinese setting and all so forth. So I guess that's a good, like, you know, dropping off point. I kind of put a more formal write-up on, like, my thoughts on demo on the site. But the the basic, you know, rundown is a very unique, like, premise and blend because you, you do have, like, this studio, like, I think it's like a, the Swordsman studio, I'm not sure exactly where they're based at from. I didn't actually do much research on the developers on it. I, I think it's like their first game, though. They're using Unreal Engine 4, just like how Octopath does. It's obviously, you know, they probably got some of that shared knowledge from how the HD2D, you know, engine works and applied it to their project. It worked out pretty well. It's kind of a weird thing because it's the first time I like actually played an HD2D game in like more than 30 FPS. Because I've only mm-hmm. played the, <laughs> I've only played what Octopath one on Switch, 
Triangle uh, played, Strategy on Switch. Tri- Switch, Live Alive, Switch, uh, and then the Octopath mobile game. Uh, not, Isn't Live Alive 60? No. It's not. So, yeah. So, there, there, so there's kind of cool seeing, like, you know, oh, there's a, how HE2D looks like in 60. But anyway, so, like, the, the, the basic premise for this game is the very at the very beginning, you're with this caravan. You're escorting, like, this person. And all, all of a sudden, you get attacked. And after, like, you kind of, it's kind of like these uh, bandits, you know, ambushing you. You're not exactly sure why they attacked you, uh, what's going on. All you know is, like, you basically got to get your ass kicked. Like, the tutorial battle is, like, your VIP. He's, like, some super fancy, awesome martial arts dude who who, who kicks, off, kicks, like, the initial wave of attacks in, but then another faction comes in. So you're kind of caught in the crossfire. You, you you wake up and like the, the the main character's name is like Yuan Yi, and he wakes up. The person that you have to control the tutorial saved him. The rest of the caravan is wiped out, and like the the person who saved you, like his like his name is like Master King Chu, is like he kind of like drops you off with this other person to go cure you of your ailments because you're like currently poisoned with this frost venom thing and it's kind of tricky to take out so he kind of leaves them off with you like a specialist that can like you know help you out and mentor you and so forth so like the first hour of this game i was like i don't know if i like this game like it's kind of it kind of has some neat concepts going on for it but it's a very typical first village type of like in your jrpg where like nothing's really happening right? you know you're getting tutorialized on stuff you're getting some fetch quests, your typical fetch quests from like the town NPCs, but like you can't really do anything yet, right? So, so this demo um, starts out where the game starts out. Yeah, okay. I think that. Yeah, I think that's a pretty like. It's not like in the middle of it. You're kind of just like put right at the very beginning. You're at level one, and all that stuff. So, the, the, just talking briefly about you know battle system because they do tutorialize you on that. The battle system is sort of similar to Live Alive. You do have your once you get to this enemy encounter, you're placed on this grid. And you move around sort of like Live Alive, but like unlike Live Alive, when you remember, like you can like freely like move around the grid. The payoff is like every time you move, the enemy will move because of, like you know every time you kind of like do your turn, the the enemy will take their turn as well, depending on like your action gauges. So like in that sense, like mm-hmm. you know moves are, like turns are certain like always being exchanged between one and another. As soon as you move, like as soon as you move, like everyone's action gauges kind of move forward just a little bit. Um, in the, in this game, it's kind of, it's kind of an interesting take on it because it's very similar to Live Alive, but in this, in Wandering Sword, like you have a, when it's an ally's turn or you you can potentially move to a certain spot on the grid. Like you'll have like a like uh, the avail like all the spaces where you can move like are highlighted. So you have like a move stat almost. So like you can move like two spaces or three spaces, and you can move to that. But like. No one like as you're moving through those tiles, it's not like live alive where everyone's like action gauges are going up as you're moving through those tiles. It's only after you end your turn will people's action gauges go up. So you, there's a the unlike in live alive, there's a there's a way to like kind of like undo your movement before you got commit to it before you say end turn or like take an attack uh, and so forth. So it does have that that distinguishing like little little thing from live alive but it that does make it a little bit more different from live alive in terms of like fl- the flow of battle um, so seems like very um it feels overwhelming at first because you're, when you're tutorial you're like you're this high level dude 
And like this, uh, when you're looking at like the battle interface, and I have like a screenshot of it, and like uh, in the other article, you have like they kind of thrust you into it. You have like this normal attack, you have this special attack, you have this mighty attack, this unique attack, and then you have these things called likeness and cultivation. Like, what the fuck is going on? You know, and you're just like, oh. so um, basically, you know, once once you start kind of like getting the hang of things, you know, obviously your normal attack is your normal attack. Your special, mighty, unique attacks are all like different tools and attacks that like your character can do and they all have cooldowns and different ranges some of them are aoes some of them will like grant additional effects like uh, the main character eventually gets a skill where like you know he'll do a special attack that's like ranged but it heals him and you can take like you can move do a post movement after that after like you enhance one of your attacks after a certain point um, and then like you know mighty unique attacks can like are much more powerful but have longer cooldowns lightness is an interesting like kind of like buff skill which usually enhances like movement so like you're able to like get around the field faster if you need to like um get to an enemy sap or like dip out really fast and cultivation is a really interesting one because this this kind of is like sometimes it's an attack that grants buffs like sometimes it's like for one character like it'll do like an attack and then like it'll take off an ailment off of them or like or the the main character eventually like gets a cultivation skill where like he'll do an attack and it'll heal him um and that's really handy and so forth but uh the, the interesting thing about all of this is like there's like no like kind of traditional level ups in this game everything is kind of dictated by like your weapon choice so like early on in the game like you know your like your mentor tells you hey like you want like wield a sword you want to wield like a spear or do you want to wield like a saber uh and then there's like there's like three other types of weapons that aren't available to you. So like you can always switch up what weapon you want to use. Just bear bear in mind, you know that like the more you use a weapon, the more you'll level up like your skill with them, and that's where you kind of start you know creating your quote unquote levels. Is like by I, your I wonder, I, I'm wondering how much how much Adam is hopefully like paying attention right now because this sounds like a certain series I know he likes a lot. It's Saga Frontier. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say Saga. I yeah. Don't know. Oh no! You, the way that you describe this weapon tree system, it kind of reminds me of watching like Wuxia stories, where uh -huh. the character will learn a certain mm -hmm. martial art, and he's only proficient with that martial art, and he needs to like if he wants to learn other ability, he steals it from fighting other people. It's like, hmm, I see your moves. I think I can copy it. Oh, that's that. So that's kind of like the interesting thing. Like, I'll get I'll get into that like sort of feeling like uh, later, but like, but that the, just that's just breaking down the battle system. So. You know, there's a certain point early on, like classic Wuxia style, there's something that happens to your mentor. There's, I won't say what happens, but there's something that happens to your mentor, and like your mentor had a daughter. He has a really good day. Yeah. <laughs> something, ha <laughs> something, yeah. Something, happened, something happens to that daughter, you're, something happens to your mentor, and it's kind of up to you to kind of be like, what's going on? There's like these factions at work. One faction thinks like the daughter is the high priestess of sect, it's like a religious sect. For whatever reason, you don't know why. Another faction has like beef with your mentor because of his past, and so like at a certain point in the demo, like you just see start you start seeing like this convergence of like th things that have happened before are like starting to catch up with them, and like it's kind of up to you to like go on like a journey to figure out okay what's going on, and obviously you know try to get your mentor's daughter back as well. Well, um, well at least there's no sunflower manual in this version. So, so you know so definitely is your classic like you know wuxia protagonist like martial arts adventure because you know along the way he has to kind of like you know get better at what he's doing he's, he has like he has a long way from like you know being badass um so the 
it's an interesting thing like how you kind of gain party members in this game i don't i don't know if you'll gain like party members automatically throughout like the main story in the full release but at least for this one all your like permanent party members are optional so like there's kind of like a freebie one which is like the kind of like the the town guard of the starting town where which like you could easily recruit him and how you recruit people is usually almost every npc you besides just talking with them there's like an observe option and even you observe them you'll see their inventory you can trade with them you see what that what items they have you can gift them stuff to boost their like affection with you and when their affection reaches 20 you can spar with them like one-on-one sparring like battles uh and like and if you win you'll like gain an item from their inventory for free obviously you know you can mostly you'll get your your ass whooped because a lot of these characters have like pretty pretty high levels compared to you and like you know obviously out, outstat you there's like that there's pretty much a cutoff of like you can't there's, there's a game where like you pretty much need the stats to win it's not like all you know skill but you know eventually once you raise their affection enough through gifting what they like because as you observe a person you'll see like i don't know how this will affect things if they plan to like you'll see their morality like there's like a value to the morality it can go to the negatives you'll see their likes their dislikes and like a brief description of like you know about them and like you know usually on their likes you'll see like oh this person likes consumables so you know or they might like food I, or i maybe. like consumables uh-huh. <laughs> i know <laughs> the, the, the english script of this game is kind of still wonky so I, it's, a, it's a demo so i'm giving them the benefit of the doubt so like a lot a lot of the ui and the hud like feel a little bit unfinished but you know it's still it's, a, it's still a demo so i'm not like that being harsh on them we'll see for the full release if they polish that up but um so for the for the for the freebie one you know you you give him some stuff very basic stuff and boosts morale or affection all the way up to 60 and at 60 for some characters when you observe them sometimes there'll be like an, an option to invite them so when you invite them and their affection is at 60 then they'll join you and that, that's interesting to me because there's like other npcs in that demo where you observe that they do have the invite option i'm like okay how do i get this person like what do they like well how much do i have to like gift them for them to join me because there are more party members in that demo that like initially meets the eye on that and it makes me wonder is like one, how many optional party members are there? Two, are there actually gonna be any like mainstay permanent party members with you that are involved with you in your adventure? Three, like I wonder if they're gonna place like really weird, obscure like limits on like recruitable characters of like if you recruit this character of high morality, do you lose like this path to like recruit this other character because they're like in direct opposition with them and so forth like that like sort of like when you, if you recruit this character you'll lock out this other character but you just might, may not know about it or who knows you know so as far as i can tell you could like deploy up to five party members at once on the battlefield like this is your standard party so i don't know if that if that number will go up but like when it comes to like party slots that's how much i it shows you so that that seems pretty cool i don't all these party members, you know, they 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 have their own like uh, weapon set, and then that they can all like you know spec their own weapon efficiencies and so forth. I I don't know if they, if they have access to another system where, with your main character, as you're leveling up your normal, your special, your might, your other attacks, and even even your lightness, you can le- level up your cultivation as well. And I don't know if it is about Chinese games, but they really like the term cultivation. And they, like, you know, when you if you played like some Chinese games, like they really like the term cultivation when it comes to like building up your character, which is kind of fun. 
when you're put when you put cultivate when you invest into cultivation, you'll gain like another set of points. I'm trying to remember the the stat the exact terminology they used, but it's but it's essentially like a like a a stat point that you can use in another menu to have a level up passives. And the way this is like visualized to you is really cool because they're all like kind of like stances or vessels, you know. So they have like they have like different like like martial arts stances or like poses and like and they're like silhouettes. And as you cycle through them, like the like the nodes of those passives that you that you travel through with the, those skill points that you get from leveling for cultivation, they 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 kind of, they sort of form like the stance that they they represent. So like the Yang vessel or the Yang stance may like be um, specking to like HP and defense, and the way that those are that that skill tree is like built up, it's like it's like to mimic that stance. Or another one might be like specking to like attack and crit chance. And so forth. So the way that, like, I took some screenshots on the article and, like, used to, to give you a better idea of what that looks like. But it's a neat way to, like, visualize that. Like, you know, like they could have done the standard thing of, like, making it a more standard-looking menu. But I, I like the the, the the little flair that they gave. Just the last thing I want to mention as well, uh, Chow. When you were talking about, like, you know, like the Wuxia experience, like, you know, when you when you read when you read books and you watch films, you know of like wuxia media you know one of the key traits when you consume anything wuxia is like that feeling of a protagonist getting more and more powerful because like you know usually they basically they, become like god tier yeah they, they, it's very supernatural choreography you know they're like kind of uh, like they're technically like superhero stories in disguise technically yeah yeah every single wuxia story usually starts like this the protagonist is super weak but due to like some experience maybe he encounters like a master, a mentor of some sort, and becomes super strong, or he discovers like a hidden treasure, and then he learns this martial art out of nowhere and becomes like a god. You know, it's usually that kind of story, like a lot of the times. Yeah. Uh, so, so this game kind of has like gives you a little bit of taste of that, which I like, and because it very reminds reminds you of that experience in in Wuxia Media, where there's this like place you visit later on in the demo, where you kind of get thrown in prison after you get ambushed by these bandits. Because you're like raiding this bandit camp to like rescue some children that has uh, that have been like kidnapped, and you heard that one of these children might be you know the daughter of your mentor. So you go there to investigate, but then you're thrown to jail after you get like overwhelmed by like a bandit ambush. In that prison, your mentor gave you like this manual or this journal that's like being seeked out by the other like, some other factions. They don't know why, but like. Your, your your main character makes an attempt to like read some of it to like you know like kind of learn its secrets. So he gains like an incomplete cultivation skill out of it. Yeah, like this attack. sounds like a, a Russia huh? I've seen. I was making a joke of a, this thing called the Sunflower Manual. This is a popular martial art in a in the Chinese media in Wuxia. But mm-hmm. Sunflower Manual is like the ultimate martial art in this one series. The mm-hmm. only problem is in order to master it. You have to castrate yourself because it was used by Enoch or whatever those things are called. Unix? Uh, Unix, yes, yes. <laughs> they were used by Unix, so the person castrated himself. And then it became like this hidden martial art that only the royal palace could use. And then in the storyline, these kind of like these tourists wanted to steal that martial art. So these tourists went in there, look at the manual, and both of them jot down different interpretations of it because they're only allowed to look at it they couldn't see the whole damn thing so they came back with distorted 
versions of that manual because those two people have conflicting memories of looking at that manual. So I, I don't know. That sounds like that kind of idea. Yeah. So that's so your character is like you know starts. He, he has like a seed of like you know like uh, of like a cool attack skill now. So he breaks out of that prison. He meets like this temporary party member. It's, it's like a, they refer to her as the lady in red. She has she's really fucking good. Has like good skills. She's kind of like almost like an assassin almost that specializes like in fire skills. But like she basically aids you for 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 to raid that bandit camp for her own means. You know exactly why yet. But you know along the way, uh, you're you're gaining experience points on these uh, meridi- meridian points, which is like the, the like the the points that you use to like invest in like powering up your skills. Um, like a lot of meridian points out of like your encounters and some of the encounters get you better equipment so like you feel the growth of like your main character exponentially as you're going to this bandit camp of like you're getting a lot of meridian points to level up your skills and getting a little like really really good like weapons compared to like your starting gear so like at the end along the way the, like there are like some treasure chests where like he starts getting you know some skills like besides like his normal special attack and like his basic stuff like he starts getting like you know you can feel the growth in your main character, like through just through gameplay of that part, and like by the end of like when that character leaves your party after that raid on the bandit camp, like your main character feels way much feels much much more competent in battle. It's like it's not like he's not like a god, but he's like he started to become into his own. Like after that, it kind of feels kind of cool. It's like, all right, like I actually do feel like like you know a Wusha protagonist after this sequence. You know, <laughs> like he's starting to become like really competent in combat and Start like, kicking ass. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sometime. Yeah, so I, I really wonder what the scope of this game is. Like, it seems to like really it's trying to go for a lot of like different things and different factions, and it has an overworld map. The, the the cool thing about the overworld map is like you see other NPCs just running around it that you can interact with if you want. And when you go to like one of the bigger cities, you'll see a lot of NPCs running around too. So it does it does have like a nice like feeling of like sense and place, um, especially like you know in in that Wuxia setting. Shiny, oh, definitely, I'm definitely intrigued. Yeah, like most of Wuxia's stuff I I seen it's more like okay, it's kind of straightforward with like the superhero stuff. Your character becomes super strong as they grow, but usually a lot of these stories. It's filled with a lot of tragedy. A lot of shit usually goes wrong, like through the stories, because of the people they know and their relationship being shattered because of of what happens to them later on. It's usually how it goes. I think yeah, it's more uh, about the tragedy than than the character growth. Like, yeah, the character becomes like super strong at the end, but I think the shit that they go through to get there is kind of awful. I, I really, yeah, that, like, that, that's basically, yeah, yeah, basically really intrigued, like like where the story like goes, like what kind of people like you'll meet along the way here because like yeah because definitely we just have that flavor of like like you never know who to trust in these stories because there's a, there's always a lot of backstabbing going on it's kind of like a, a trope in wushas of like getting backstabbed yeah. you know so it's a it seems promising it, it seems like an early demo i don't know what like when they plan to release it the steam page says 2023 which could yeah. just be a placeholder who knows yeah so hopefully, you know, they get they take some of the feedback of like, you know, the I th- I think I don't like the 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 side quest in this game. It's a very all typical fetch quest kind of boring stuff. Um, I I think the I don't know like the this I get I guess it being a slow start is kind of like inherent to the genre in some in some in some ways. But obviously, also just like just hopefully they get like something more flashier for the HUD and UI because 
it seems you know very basic on that aspect right now but other than that it's a it's an interesting um fusion like you know just like like a i really like that like independent developers have like started messing with hd 2d and seeing what they can come up with it you know you know like hd 2d is here to stay so i not about like should it stay or should it go i'm just more like what can other people do with it you know and that's what i like to see is like experimentation seeing like you know what's how people how they interpret that engine what sorts of like worlds will they imagine from it I think my biggest concern with the game would be probably the translation mm-hmm. because a lot of like games that are published in China and if it has an English translation, it just it's kind of like not very the best. It's just yeah, like, yeah, they, they, yeah. Obviously, hopefully, you know, they 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 got touch up the English script as well, you know, for because there there are definitely some rough lines in this game. Like obviously, you know, I don't know. Who, uh, like we're, we're not wanting to try it to work, but a lot of the people that I know, like in China in general, they probably think it's like, yeah, it's just just slap on English and just call it a day. They just don't really know if how like having higher quality translation would improve a lot of things. They just think like it's just you know, yeah. <laughs> it's English, then it works, right? You know? Oh yeah, this game is also really really good with like tooltips, like hover over tooltips. Like for what it's worth, like right now the demo the that's out for a limited time to like the end of February. It only can use keyboard and mouse right now for input, but I think they plan on having controller support at the, at the final release. But the game is really good about like hover over tooltips, like even like stats at like a, like a, over a character's page. Like, what does the agility stat do? What does the this stat do? Like when you hover over it, it actually give you a good description of like, okay, this is what this stat does, which is you know valuable for 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 this sort of game because sometimes you know you can get kind of lost in the mix of like how different terminologies are like interpreted, and sometimes it's it's kind of overwhelming. Because like you can hover over like every skill like in combat to it, like it'll give you a pretty pretty thorough breakdown of like what that skill does and their values and like what their effects are like after reaching a certain level threshold. And like I'm like you could probably do like make that more consumable by making that like a an expandable thing instead of like showing it to you always. Looks like the publisher is Spiral Up, Spiral Up Games, which is a very small publisher. I guess this is the third game they've ever published. The other two look very small in scope. Uh, based in Singapore, just just saying that you know it's not only is it a, a new developer, but kind of a young publisher as well. Yeah. But you know, it looks like everything is pretty promising on this game, and there is some discussion on the Steam page for people that have played the demo, and just seems like impressions have been relatively positive. But uh, it's just me kind of gleaning through it really quickly over here. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, I think it's real promising. You know, I would I would like to check out the full game. You know, see how it all comes together. It's 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 really cool. There, there is something to it. One of the one of the topics on the the forum page is probably the best demo on Steam Fest. At least one guy's opinion is that. Hey, that's a pretty good one. Ciao. What what even checking out for uh, Steam Next Fest? Uh, the only thing I tried out was the Grim Guardians. Okay. Yeah. 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 Several, like again the game ago. is grim guardians which is the way they advertise it it looked like a kind of like a monrin was it castlevania portrait of rune but i did not get that i got classic castlevania portrait of rune yeah yeah so, so people like i'm fine with it but like a lot of people when they first saw this obviously when the castlevania portrait of ruin was was a metroidvania so expectations for this was like you're gonna have an explorable castle 
and you go to access different parts of the castle by getting like you know power ups, like a certain leader, certain leader points, and like castle like Metroidvania, you know, Castlevania, like Symphony of the Night style exploration. But I didn't notice like a lot classic Vania too. In this game, it's much more linear, like old school Castlevania, where you go through a stage and then it's very linear. You get to the boss of the stage and then you unlock like the next part, the next stage. Which is, you know, still Castlevania, it's just a, a different flavor of Castlevania. It's like Castlevania before Symphony of the Night. It's definitely not what I signed up for, but I'm okay with it. I, I could play that. But I think if it was a Metrovania, I think my experience would be much mm-hmm. better because I have a very good time with Portrait of the Rune. It's actually like one of my favorite games. Mm-hmm. I think it's just kind of a little bit below Dawn of Sorrow, in my opinion. Dawn of Sorrow is just a little Dawn bit of Sorrow is really good. Yeah. Basic. I still like Symphony of the Night a lot. Symphony of the Night is hard to beat. It's well, I think like it's better than Symphony. Honestly, like I like it. Might be one of the weird ones because I'm like because I, I flip between Symphony of the Night and Order of Ecclesia. I really like Order of Ecclesia also. <laughs> I like that one too. But I I think I like that one more for the boss challenges. How you can get a little medal saying that you beat this boss while taking a hit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do, I like doing that in that game, and that's the only game that had those medals. So yeah, that's the one I like for that. But but like gameplay wise, I like Pressure Rune the most because the dual swapping was very. It was kind of unique for its time. Yeah. Wasn't really in the other games as much, but let let's go back with or stuck with in gameplay wise, like or and even story wise. This this looks like a kind of like a parody Castlevania story. Do, do you want to know? Do you want to know what 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 this is, such uh, how for the story? Is it a Galgun? Yeah, it's it's in the universe. Uh, figure I figure as much from the artwork, <laughs> but like I'm not. Like, I wasn't 100% sure, right? That was, like, one of the early things I remembered, like, from this game. It was like, oh, like, when someone told me this, like, part of the Galga universe, like, are you fucking serious? Because I never played Galga. It's it's literally has the same initials as, like, Galgun Double Piece from Grimoire uh, Demon Purge. Oh, there you go. Oh, shit. I guess that explains it. But I think, I think, um, this one's weird because, like, I was definitely expecting, like, the Jonathan Charlotte kind of divided, like, skills. Like, one's going to be, like, the melee fighter, one's going to be the magic. And this one's, like, one's definitely the melee fighter, has a sword, but the other one has, like, a gun. And, like, and like I don't know, like, I feel like the gun's, like, sort of useful-ish, but, like, the, the melee fighter... The melee fighter is the best, but she is a glass cannon. Yeah. Not take a hit. It's like two hits, just down. Okay, but that, I was playing in veteran mode, so maybe that's mm-hmm. why. But well, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, it's still the same in normal. She was like dead, like two hits, and you're like, okay. Shinobu is actually like decent in taking hits. Shinobu is the, the older sister with the gun. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, I was a veteran also. You're right. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, but I don't know. It's, it's very, it's kind of a weird balance. Like, I feel like. This is like a weird theme because like you can play this game with another player. I think through locally. I don't know if it supports online playing the full game or whatever. I I forgot, but like I feel like it'll probably be a better experience to play with another person than to play alone because like playing alone in this game is sort of miserable in the sense like okay when someone goes down and one of the sisters goes down, you have to to find her body and raise them. Yeah, you have to you have to play the other sister, navigate through like the like the stage until you feel yeah as you said find the other sister and then like resurrect them and then they'll be back and like for me i just like i wish there was just a way to like kind of just like one sister goes down so the other sister takes her place right there and then and there and continue the gameplay because like as it is it's like it feels like it's it's kind of tedious about while, while like i imagine like in 
multiplayer. multiplayer. They could just like, you right there immediately. Yeah, probably. like it. You know what that reminds me of? What's up? Donkey Kong Country 2. Ooh, you're fuck. When yeah. Diddy goes down, Dixie comes in. Mm-hmm. Or the other way around. I don't. Like, it's a different type of game, but so. yeah, I know. But if I'm trying to remember, when you're playing that game solo, do you have to like navigate the whole level as Dixie again? No, no, you can, you can switch between the two of them, yeah, unless one of them goes down and then you have to use the other one, yeah. Uh, so, so, so in this one, when one of them goes down and you're in single player, you're transferred all the way that back to like the beginning of the stage or like the last checkpoint or whatever, as the other room. Uh, or beginning of the room, as like no, it's like it's like a like a room or two back, I remember, and it's like. And it's like you're playing as the other sister, and you have to navigate all the way back to where your other where your sister died, or that. Then you resurrect them, and then you can continue going. Well, I like you were you were describing Adam like what I wish for like if one of the sister goes down, you can still continue on as the other sister right then and there when you switch over to the other one right there then and there. You're forgetting this key detail in Donkey Kong Country. You have to find a DK barrel to get your <laughs> resurrect the other. Thing. Kong, right? So, right. So, so get some uh, fucking uh, put a DK barrel in, in this game. There, Grim Guardian needs DK barrels. That's right. But yeah, like it's not bad. I just, you know, I just wanted something <laughs> different. I guess, right? You know. Yeah, I, I get it. Like you know, like when you first like see this game and you're very much right at Portrait Ruin, you have expectations right then and there of like, okay, I think this is a Metroidvania because it looks like Portrait Ruin. Like I, I get it. I think the weirdest part is like, do you, do you play with a controller or a keyboard? On I play. I, I play with a controller on this one. I think the weirdest part is when you boot up the game with a controller. It asks you to put like set up your buttons first. I didn't know it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I was like, I pressed like a bunch of random buttons on, on my like controller. I was like, oh fuck. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that, yeah, that was weird too. Like in the copy off, I was like, oh, there's a calibrate option right then and there on the main menu. Who the hell does that <laughs> right at the beginning? Like usually it's like. After you kind of like start the game, then uh, yeah, that, that you're right. That caught me off guard. I forgot until you just mentioned it. I was, I was like so caught off guard by that. Like, but you know, by the end of like the, the the first stage and like half of the second stage, like I was like, okay, like yeah, I'll check it out. Like a full release, like it, it's interesting enough to me to like uh, see the whole thing. Like for me, for a demo, I, we were talking about it a little bit earlier before the podcast. But like for, for like usually on demos that I like, I probably won't complete the demo because like. Unless it's like for an assignment, like the the wandering sword, like the demo preview. But like if I if that was on like my own time, I probably wouldn't have completed that demo because after a certain point, I was like, okay, I'm already sold. I'm gonna buy this game. So like, if I'm playing a demo and like I'm pretty sure I'm gonna get that game, like I usually just stop it right then and there. I'm like, okay, I'm sold. The, the demo did what it's supposed to do. If like I complete a game's demo, that usually means that it took way longer. For for it to like for them to sell me on it or i just like i don't i'm not sure if i like it or not if i managed to reach the end of the demo like probably i'm just weird like how my brain works but i'm just like to me a demo is like it has has one thing that it has to do is to sell me on the game and if it does that then i have no reason to continue playing the demo i i for me it's like i don't like demos it gives me a false impression of the overall game right hmm. like i don't know like i mean a good demo should not do that well, I, like, I don't know, like, for certain games, I like the demo, but I hated the actual game. Like, for example, Final Fantasy XV was an example of a, of that kind of game. I loved the demo, but I hated the actual game. I hated, like, driving a car to get to the locations, and it's just, it just fucking annoying. And, but the demo sold me. It was, like, a bunch of four guys that had to kill a fucking behemoth to get money to fix a car. What an co- amazing concept. <laughs> that, that, well, demo, that, demos for RPGs are, are hard. Yeah, they're they're pretty different. Which level was that? Was that episode Disque? Yeah. Yeah. 
Fuck. <laughs> I've never seen that much of If I get yeah. in a car accident to fix a car, I will tell them I'll kill a behemoth for you to fix that car. Mm-hmm. Totally right, right? I, don't I know get you. Mean. I feel that. Yeah. But, but anyways, speaking of Galgun, I think the mm-hmm. only reason why I know Galgun was from watching a random Japanese TV show where they got the... Do you remember the voice actress Maya Uchida? Yeah, she's still active. Yeah, she's still active. She's the like voice of Zero for Dragon Guard Free, you know? She actually plays one of the heroines in that game, and there was this episode where they tried to get her brother to woo her in Galgun. <laughs> so it was mm, awkward. Good. Nice. That is peak Japanese TV right there. They're both voice actors. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but, 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 but these variety shows are like, you know, they're very wacky, but that's the kind of stuff. It's it's pretty funny, to be honest. Does, uh, yeah. they, does, they, do, does they like to do that picture-in-picture mode for, for Japanese, like, variety shows, right? So you get, like, before before you had, like, live reactions on, like, online media, like, Japanese TV did that a lot before, you know. It was that, popularized. That's the only way I know Galgun, just for that. But yeah, that's kind of like my impression of them. It's just not what I expected. Gameplay is kind of okay. Um, what was the thing that we forgot to mention? You had to manually reload with the gun, which is kind of weird. You can, you can, I mean, it'll still do the reload after you're done with all the bullets, I think, right? No, it does, but it filled up so slow. It would probably take like two minutes to get all the bullets back because she has like 100 bullets to start. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. You press double down real quick to get to instant reload, mm-hmm. but it's just kind of weird. I don't think I played a game where you had to manually reload for a 2D platformer. Yeah, that's it. I don't know. Probably get around. I don't know if I'm going to get on release date. It's like it releases on February 23rd. But it releases alongside everything else. Yeah, I'll probably get around to it. I'm not totally sold. I I think I might prefer playing Gunvolt. If 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 it has online co-op, let's get it, John. Let's fucking online co-op. Okay, if there is, I'll I'll get it and we'll play Uh, it together. Yeah, I think that'll be a more uh, fun experience for that game continuing this round robin of demos ryan you have a demo for us all right so i'm going to jump ahead to an announcement that was made during the nintendo direct the rest of the nintendo direct we will cover but i'm going to jump ahead to a new headline that sea of stars an indie game that's also kind of made in an hg2d-esque style finally has a release date it is releasing for pc playstation consoles and switch on August 29th, and it, I believe this game did make our most anticipated list for this year. And there is a Switch demo that dropped alongside the Nintendo Direct. And the, the even though the game's coming out for multiple consoles, and even though Steam is doing its big demo slew right now, this demo is only on Switch. But for this sort of game, that's fine because it's at the very 16-bit inspired aesthetic. We've talked about this game in a few instances over the last couple of years. Obviously, it takes a lot of inspiration from games like Chrono Trigger, from games like Golden Sun, things like that. So I played this demo on, on the Nintendo eShop for Sea of Stars. It's very short. I think I got through it in like 40 minutes, which is fine, because like, like Josh said, I just kind of wanted to get a taste, you know. And some of the stuff that I recognized in the demo and experienced for the first time, I'm sure if you were the sort of person that reads every Kickstarter update as it comes through, like all this stuff was announced. but one thing I did appreciate about this demo is that it is kind of not positioned at the start of the game. It doesn't give you a lot in terms of premise. It doesn't give you a lot in terms of like, here are your characters. It kind of plops you straight into the middle of it, 
which means you're a little bit lost narratively, but I think it's okay. You can kind of glean like, okay, here are my allies here. I don't know quite what the, who the antagonist is, but here's the location. Here's, here's my current goal. So you start out with your party of three, which is the, the main two heroes and then a, a third character. And I'll be honest, I didn't pay attention to their names because that's not really important to me. I'm bad with names and games in general. So yeah, so you, you have the swordsman who also can do fire magic. You have the staff wielder who does, I'm not sure what the name of the element in the game is, but it's, it's signified by a crescent moon. So like lunar magic. And then you've got this character who like uses a fr- like a frying pan or a shield awesome. and, and, and like does does the cooking for you. All right. So he's kind of he's kind of like your, you know, your your tag along. <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know if he's uh, long for this world. But the thing that I yeah, so this game, this demo is very much more of a mechanical demo than a premise narrative story demo. Oh, I uh, like it's, those. It starts out with a little bit of story premise and I guess I'll start out with the very first thing that you recognize when you play this demo. It's just this art style. And I wish I had the technical vocabulary to explain why it feels this way. But compared to any other game, this game makes me feel the most nostalgic for the Game Boy Advanced, like those RPGs, even if they were oh. like, even if they were like Game Boy Advanced ports of Super Nintendo games, because those are both like quote unquote 16 bit. I'm using that term broadly, but it's not quite HD2D. It doesn't have like the depth of field or the bloom or the lighting effects, but it has the same like pixel art direction and color like color wheel choices that a lot of those 16 bit RPGs had. The lighting is very flat. And I don't mean that as like degradation, but they're not really going for depth here. They're not trying to make it paint it like a diorama or anything. It's just a very clean, very inspired 16-bit bold color art style. And I think it looks really, really good. But uh, even on the Switch, I have I don't have a Switch OLED, I have a regular Switch. And I still think it looked really good in portable mode. Obviously, it's a low-intensity game. I wasn't paying attention to what its frame rate was 30 or 60. I, I guess for a game like this, I don't really like care too much about that. Yeah. But it ran fine. It didn't chug or slow or have long loading times or anything like that. So my, that was my first impression. And if you've been paying attention to any of the trailers, you already kind of know how this game looks, but it holds up. I thought it looked really good. I didn't, unlike games like Triangle Strategy or Octopath, where I have like these caveats, I'm not going to say this game is immaculate, but I don't have like a really big like, oh, I wish it didn't do this on a visual front. Like, no, it looks clean. It looks good. I really have no complaints. It's it looks exactly kind of how how it's how it's marketed and how I wanted it to on the gameplay. Yeah, sorry. I was like one of those things that like I remember that the demo came out. I just like forgot that it came out because it only came out on one platform. But I think I'm like, I think I'm like already sold on like what they've like shown so far. Like, okay, yeah, I'll definitely give this a shot. I don't know if like. For me, I was like, I don't know if I need to like play a demo to like, you know, I think I want to see it for, like for myself, like when when it finally gets gets going, like the full release. So yeah, I was gonna ask, but is there so like any like relation to this game to the Messenger? Remember, this is like supposed to be a prequel to that. It's from it's from the same developer. I don't know if those games are narratively connected, maybe loosely, but I don't think so, and I don't think it really matters. This is like an original story with it, its original cast. Maybe it's, it's technically a prequel to The Messenger, but I always think these sorts of canonical connections between these sorts of games are always a bit tenuous. Yeah. But we'll see. Maybe you know, maybe we're wrong. Maybe it's got this huge thing where at the end nothing makes sense unless you play yeah, The Messenger. Like, yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, sorry for interrupting, Brian. What were you going to say? 
So you start out in like one of the port cities. And again, I'm terrible with names. I don't remember the city. I was more focusing on how the game plays when rather than like trying to commit to memory, the locations or the narrative. But you're in a port city and you're trying to recruit the help of like a pirate gang. And what this little story snippet did was kind of set the bar for like how serious the story is. And it seems like the story is very much like, at least based on this very small snippet from the demo, the story is very like after school special. So not like for kids, but also not like grim, dark, super serious. It's got a lot of levity to it. So here's the story premise that you get. These these pirates basically say that they will help you if you can beat one of their crew members in an arm wrestling match. So the chef character says like, I got this. I can beat this guy in an arm wrestling match. And this little skinny pirate comes up and he's like, all right, I'll try my best. Then he rips off his shirt and he's just like ripped to shreds. He's like buff <laughs> as all hell. And then, and, then you're, and then you're like, oh shit. And then he he breaks the table and wipes the floor with you. And then they're like, haha, we didn't say we wouldn't use our magic shirt. Like that was hiding his like, <laughs> that was like hiding his physique. That's something awesome. like that. And then, they, and then they end up helping you anyway. But that's that sort of like he like little jokey slapsticky sort of thing i mean obviously i haven't played the full game i've only played the demo i have no idea how indicative that is of the tenor of the narrative but if that's what they're letting the demo speak first hand it's like okay this game is going to have hijinks and like have a little bit of levity and like i'm sure there's also going to be kind of like you know once you encounter the antagonist and the big bad it'll it'll kind of straight lace itself a bit but that's a good uh, first impression. That's like how you yeah. like, make like a, like a good like first punch to it. That's uh that's that's like immediately charming. It's like okay, all right, game. You're you're being yeah. cheeky. Then the second part of the demo basically has you go through a kind of a what I assume is an early game dungeon, and it kind of is a lot of things that you doesn't do anything new, but it but it's it's got enough going on that I think yeah, this is engaging. This is interesting. So you go into this dungeon. There's a platform in the center where you have to place colored crystals. And basically, it's kind of like one of the dungeons in Zelda or Saga Frontier even had this, where you like place crystals on pedestals and they like shine light beams through mirrors, like a very, very classic dungeon puzzle trope. But it does it in a way where you actually had to think and there was a little bit of optional objectives and it wasn't like a turn your brain off puzzle, but it also wasn't frustratingly difficult. It had a good, a good level of, you know, rigor to it. The combat, as anyone has who has watched any of the previews of this game knows, is that it's very Chrono Trigger-esque, where you'll see a, you'll see a, a group of enemies on the playing field, and then as you encounter them, your characters will jump off to the side, won't launch a new battle screen, like there won't be like a shattered screen, like classic Final Fantasy style, but you'll go into combat mode where your characters will basically be able to initiate their abilities, and the enemies will all kind of be lined up as well. It's round-based. So, Chrono Trigger... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But if you played Chrono Trigger, it's like that. The combat is round based. So you have three characters and how it works, at least the, the thing about this combat system is that none of this is tutorialized to you in like menus. It's just, hey, figure it out, which I actually kind of appreciated. It's not that it's that complicated, but I'm glad it didn't like spoon feed it. So it's round based. So you have your three characters and any one of them can interact in whatever order you need. Above any enemy, there will be a little stopwatch with a number of turns remaining. So even though you have three characters, if there's a stopwatch above an enemy that says two, it means you can only can only act twice before that enemy acts. So you say, okay, which two characters do I want to move before the enemy acts? So it's kind of round-based, but kind of not. 
it's it's more like turn-based, but you're free to choose who goes first, who goes second, who goes third. There, there might be a more better name for that sort of combat. That's but that's the uh, the general gist. Um, it has your typical HP and mana pool. Skills require mana. In this demo, your mana pool is very limited. So you have you have like eight mana, nine mana, and your your abilities take like four or five. So you can only really do it once before you have to do like if you do regular attacks, you you heal your mana back up a bit. So I kind of like that where it's like. You don't just use skills all the time. There's some RPGs that are balanced where you use skills all the time and using a regular attack is almost a waste of a turn. Where in this game, it's like, okay, if I do a skill, I'm not going to have any mana for the next turn, at least in the demo balance. So I can either do a regular attack to build up some mana, or I can do a, a skill because I want to wipe out this enemy or get whatever the skill's bonus is. So you're, you're using regular attacks and using skills pretty frequently. There is the system that reminds me most of actually Octopath Traveler. Remember in Octopath Traveler, and obviously that's another game that has a demo this week, that every character will have a list, every enemy in a battle will have a list of icons below them that says kind of what they're susceptible to for breaking. This, this game has a very similar thing. It doesn't appear above the enemy all the time. I'm not sure what triggers it, but when you engage a battle above some or all the enemies, there'll be like a sword icon. Okay, hit this enemy with a sword or a hammer icon or a sun icon, hit this guy with light magic, things like that. And if you are able to use your skills and abilities to basically knock off like the check boxes, like, okay, I hit this enemy with a sword, I hit him with a hammer, and the last icon is to hit him with a boomerang. If you do that, it fills your combo meter more. So basically, you don't have to do that, but it's kind of a suggestion where it's like, hey, if you if you're able to hit the enemy with these types of abilities, we're gonna we're gonna reward you for it. And sometimes it's like, oh, this enemy's gonna act in two turns anyway, so I'm not gonna bother. But sometimes it's like, oh, this enemy's not acting for five turns. Let me see if I can clear out his uh, his little icon bar so I can get the bonus for doing that. Uh, your combo meter has like three pips. So every time you fills up gradually, but every time you break an enemy's bar like that, it gives you a free pip. And then basically, if you've got one pip, you can do low level combos. And these are also very Chrono Trigger esque, the combos. If you got two pips, you can do the stronger ones and three pips, you can do the most powerful ones. In the demo, you you find a scroll in a treasure chest that teaches you new combos. So these combos are going to be sorts of things that you can find and upgrade in the wild. Uh, levels are like your party has a level, which is kind of it makes sort of it makes sense because instead of all your characters just being around the same level, when you go in the demo from level three to level four, all of your characters level up at the same time. It's like oh, okay, that's just kind of cleaning up that a little bit. Uh, what else is there for the combat? Combat has some Mario and Luigi style button prompts. So so whenever you attack, if you press the action button right before you hit, you do a little bit more damage. Every time they attack you, if you press the action button right before they hit, you take a little bit less damage. If you, and this is one of the things I know they showed very early on in the marketing for it, like the uh, Valerie, Valerie, whatever the, the female protagonist's name, when she throws her magic boomerang, it will bounce off the enemies and you can keep pressing A to keep bouncing it like Ocarina of Time, final boss style. And so basically, the more you get that timing right, the more damage you do, the more enemies it'll hit. That does kind of interface well with the magic, with the break bar system that I talked about. For instance, if an enemy has three boomerang symbols on it, and then you use her skill that can bounce off the enemy and back as many times as you can get the timing right, you can knock off all three in a single skill. Some of them are less interesting than others, like the male protagonist move is like a fireball spell and you just you just hold a until it's the max size and then you let go and it does the most damage it's a little bit less interesting but obviously if there's a lot of characters and a lot of party members and things like that 
it kind of brings I've, i always thought that the mario and luigi style button input or paper mario style button input is kind of an easy effective way to bring a little bit more direct input to a turn-based game kind of a bummer to think that alpha dream is dead <laughs> that was adam's first thought on this i was like you know what <laughs> there will never be another mario and luigi game thanks adam <laughs> I I, I, to make one. it's a shame but also, yeah, that's, I don't, that sounds real. Go for it. So I don't think anyone really was too hot on any of the Mario and Luigi games after Bowser's Inside Story. Um, the the demo was actually fairly challenging, and not challenging where it's like, wow, I can't beat this. But in a lot of games, you get a lot of potions or elixirs or ethers or whatever, and it's almost balanced in a way where you don't have to use them unless you're playing really poorly. But in this game, it's like, man, I ha- I'm glad I'm given this supply of potions because I'm using them. Um. So it actually feels like having an economy of items and there's like a very rudimentary cooking system where you can get like ingredients and cook up potions and things like that. And just even from the small snippet of the demo, it's like, oh, okay, these are actually valuable. I should go to the campsite and actually cook up up some potions because I might need them because they're actually helpful. When a character dies in battle, there, as far as I can tell, there is no Phoenix down or revive items, but they will kind of naturally revive a few turns later with like partial HP. Which I'm kind of like, huh, that's an interesting way to balance. But basically what it means is when you're fighting a boss, you might be juggling like characters going up, you know, going to downstate and coming back if you manage to not wipe before, you know, they're able to revive themselves. So that's kind of an interesting what lost Odyssey. I'm trying to to revive. I'm trying to I guess it's been so long since I played that. But yeah, I guess the the, the immortal characters revive themselves eventually. Eventually. So. You know, you know would be uh, you know would be a fun concept to play around with that. You you should be able to like pre put an item on them in advance so you can plan out they revive on this turn and the very next turn the character goes like the next character that acts after them uses an item on them because you already anticipated that they were going to revive on that. I turn. specifically remember a Lost Odyssey boss where like all my characters are dead except one, but I just had to keep that one person alive for like two more turns. So then the other three would like revive themselves on the next turn. Just like, and that, and that didn't happen for me in this demo, but I could easily see it being, it's a, so a three person party. So I could see it. If you've got two characters that go down on the same turn, you've got one character left. Basically you could just be like, all right, I'm going to have this character just go on the defensive and just stay alive until the other two pop back up. And I don't know if that was, maybe that was a demo thing. It felt a bit strange to me because, it's like, wait, why did they revive? So I don't know if that's just the natural balance of the game or if I had some sort of option immortals. enabled. Yeah, they're all immortals, apparently. So that's yeah, that's what I experienced in the demo. Um, the the puzzles are have enough variety and interest to them. So in this puzzle, in this dungeon, you have three different colored crystals. And basically, you have three, pe- three crystals and three pedestals. To get to the final room of the dungeon, you have to put all three crystals on the three pedestals to open the final door. But you can, like, pair them up. And, you know, so there's six different possible combinations to open up all the different, um, I guess, only three unique combinations. Combinations versus permutations, math, <laughs> or whatever. But... Uh, but you can uh, like access a few secret rooms. That's where I got the combo scroll and a few other items. But yeah, um, the demo is pretty short. You can play through it in like 40 minutes. But basically, I didn't see anything that was like, wow, completely unexpected. But I'm like, you know, everything that I saw was really solid. It was a, a decent level of challenge. It had kind of like a level of whimsy that I didn't think was like cringeworthy or, or poor fitting. I think the game looks really pretty. Uh, so yeah, basically thumbs up excited it was it didn't overstay its welcome the demo it doesn't even like give away a lot of the story in terms of like 
I still have no idea like what the premise of the game is. And I guess I probably could if I go to the Kickstarter page, but you know, I'll just let the, let the story tell it to me as I play it. Yeah, uh, I'm excited when it for releases. it. I really, I really want to try it out. What was the release date again? It was just, yeah, this was just announced this last week and it's releasing on August 29th. So not, not in the immediate future, but something to look at down the road. So I think if I remember, if I remember right, that's around the same time. Baldur's Gate 3, which I know is a very completely different style of game, is yeah. <laughs> uh, is releasing. So I'll have to double check what the, what the release calendar looks like late in the year. But yeah, CSR is a very quick demo, but kind of everything that I was expecting it to be and wasn't surprised in any way. But I think in this case, that was a, a good thing. You know, pleasantly surprised. Yeah. I said wasn't surprised and almost said pleasantly surprised. But <laughs> what, I, what I expected, still, still eager, still interested, good, solid, presents itself pretty well. Yeah, just a final quick rundown. Like I was, like, I played some other other games very fast. You know, there, there were some uh, first like a, a few that didn't like I that I expected to like. I tried out After Image, Afogado, and Bancho Tactics. I think they're for Bancho Tactics. It feels very early. It's like a, a, it's that strategy RPG game, but with you know with the with the Bancho uh, sort of like aesthetic to it. It just feels very basic at the moment, just like normal attacks and like a filled up a meter for special attacks. It feels it, kind of. English translation to it is awful at the moment. If you if you want to play a demo that does not read well at all, uh, play that demo, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I so it like, yeah, it did not make the first impression. Afogado is kind of like it's like it's kind of like that interesting aesthetic game, but like the reverse tower defense for the gameplay, where like you're kind of that path, but like you're using like these cards to, like summon like these demon underlings, like navigate the level. And like, and then there's another aspect to it where like you open up a cafe to like make coffee for people. I think the the reverse tower defense gameplay got like a little bit repetitive, so like it just didn't make a great first impression. It might be really good at the end, but like for at the moment, I just didn't really like demo. After image, it has like it's a really 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 pretty like sort of Metroidvania type of game, but I think I think the way it really rolls out its mechanics early on is feels really too slow and like it just it really didn't do much for me overall. Maybe it'll be really good at the end, but like it, I think it, it just makes a really poor first impression. The ones I really did like, Gravity Circuit. It's like a it's like a Mega Man X clone, but it has like interesting mechanics to spice it up. It has like a grapple hook to like swing around levels. Your tools, you're, you're like kind of like a ninja, so you, uh, most of your tools are like melee based, and you have like meters to fire off different special attacks. It has a good flow, good momentum, good responsiveness to it. Definitely worth checking out. I feel like Mega Man X games. There's another one called Gestalt Steam and Cinder, and this is like a side-scrolling, uh, like pixel action RPG. I'm um, sorry to interrupt you, but I know that Adam expressed interest in that game. I think a long time ago, like back when it was first kickstarted. Yeah, it's been in development for a while. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, the demo is really neat for it. I I don't think I've I've heard of it until recently. So really great like character design like the, you kind of you kind of you kind of play like i guess the best way i can describe like the main character is just like it's a, it's like a woman like a like a red or pink haired woman kind of that kind of has like an indiana jones type of it looks outfit. like a female van helsing almost yeah so you know your your kind of main two weapons at the very beginning like are like upgrading this sword combo and like very very limited use gun that like you can eventually infuse like as a stun shot and like your your main like enemies of them are kind of like robots of different sorts and, and, and like it like as you're as you're going through them you level up there's like a whole skill tree system like it feels it feels like a very tightly designed deliberate game i don't i cannot follow the plot at all of that game maybe it'll be better presented in the final product but it just it just feels very very 
strange, I guess is the better way to put it, but it, it feels very compelling too. It, one that I really, really, that really caught my eye because it's definitely my kind of game is called Phantom Brigade. I know it's been like in, like in some sort of beta or early access at Epic Game Store for a while now, but it's full release is coming to Steam and Epic Game Store soon. It's sort of like a strategy game, isometric. At first glance, it'll look like XCOM, but it's very different than that. I guess the best way I can sort of uh, summarize this gameplay in a few words, like it's like Frozen Synapse, but with Vex. So as you're navigating around the battlefield, uh, like different sorry, types of sorry, Josh, but when you said this is your style of game, I bit my tongue. I was like, I wonder if this game has mechs. <laughs> I'm yeah. yeah i get it i get it i know i know where i stand so when you're when you're like navigating throughout the field like every action that you do whether it's like nav like running to a certain spot when you're waiting when you're like taking aim with your shots it'll show it'll preview you like the next five seconds of every whether it's ally or enemy on the battlefield so it'll show you exactly on a timeline where they'll be at a certain point and whether they're like going to attack something or attack you so you kind of plan around that and kind of like you kind of like construct a timeline. Like when you're like editing videos and you see that timeline when you're editing videos, it sort of looks like that on the interface, which is very neat. Like and like and like the progression system reminds me of like front mission. So like after every battle, like you can you can like have these certain amount of like a, a salvage budget. So like when you feed enemies, like they might like drop like their weapons or like their head their torso their arms their legs but they keep you can only take a you can only salvage a certain amount of it and then like and then the rest either like they're like scrap it for like currency or like just abandon it and like scrapping it will take less of that salvage budget so you kind of have to work around that so that that was a, that's a really really cool concept that like is it's kind of like um for, for people who like front mission i think they'll really like the phantom brigade it, it is it has a lot of uh, interesting things going for it especially that timeline system another another game that i really liked it's an rpg called inkbound actually it's like it's kind of like a light rpg it's like a roguelite that's more of a roguelite but does have rpg elements this is made from the developers of monster train um so well like i guess i want to point like there's one specific feature in inkbound that i really want to point like focus to it's like it's battle system it's isometric it'll look like torchlight or diablo at first and you expect it to be an action rpg with the way it moves but when you initiate an encounter you're not you're it's not an action rpg like it's actually a turn-based game that looks like an action rpg and it's very positional focused and so interface is like on one half of the interface you have your hp on the other half you like you have like this other sort of this point system that shows how many act like moves you can make like action points so you have this hot hot bar that shows like you know these three attacks there's like three classes in it i chose like this ninja character with a shuriken it had like your basic attack with a shuriken like a dash move that like it'll mark enemies of whoever you dash through and then if you hit them again it'll be a guaranteed crit and then they have another like powered up move as their third skill that like do more damage based on like the amount of like shurikens that like you've stored up um, so there will be like like you said, Ryan, like with Sea of Stars, like it's very hands off. Like it'll show you the like, basic controls, but like how to actually read the interface. Like I was kind of lost at first because like every time you move around the battlefield, like things are still frozen until like you actually take like um until you kind of like pass your turn. You can still move around, but like you have to be very deliberate on how you move around. There'll be two values whenever you move around, one in red and one in blue. And what these values mean is like how much damage you're gonna take 
next turn and how much points are you gonna use up with your current action so depending on how many enemies there are in their position to you yeah that that red value can change depend, depending on how well you're positioned in relation to your enemy so that can be like it could be flow rotating like 11 10 3 2 and that'll show like when you end your turn that's how much damage you're gonna incur as soon as you end your turn the blue number shows when you use a skill how much of your action points are you going to consume because there are zones on the ground that'll actually like if you stand in these zones and use a skill you'll it'll take off like one less action point than it might have taken off so let's say I, a skill takes two action points if i'm standing in that, that certain blue zone it'll t- only take up one so pair that up with like a like skill like skill markers from enemies and especially bosses that like show like their next attack like like they may be running through you so it becomes and, and, and as your as this encounter is going, there's also like a poison field that surrounds like the battlefield. Like if you you can't stall during battles because this field like is consistently closing, almost like a battle royale. Like these like there's these damage zones that are like enclosing on on you. So you have there you're kind of encouraged to like kind of end battles as fast and as, as efficiently as possible. So that makes the positioning and action point economy very very um strategic. And as you're going through this, it's kind of like done like in roguelike runs where like after you do an encounter, you'll like get rewards, like get like new passives, get maybe get new like skills or maybe get like new um, stats, like 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 leveling up your crit chance or crit damage or maybe, you know, that sort of stuff. And then after that encounter, you go like into like to like the next part where like there'll be like three branching points saying, okay, you can go here and you can get a chance to heal your health or you can go here and go to this encounter or you can go here, it's like a treasure room. So you gain one of those and you continue down along the path until you reach like the boss. Sort of like a roguelite, sort of like branching path, sort of thing, like a slate aspire, for example, when you're like kind of making decisions on like where you want to go. So that's a really, really interesting game that I really urge people to check out whenever they get the chance, whether it's the full game or maybe the demo. I don't know if the demo's still gonna be up after Steve Next Fest, but it's a really cool demo. Uh, yeah, as you then, were talking uh, about it, I was watching and the I had the Steam page pulled up, and I was watching some of the trailers. Look at some of the um, uh, screenshots. It reminds me of some sort of sort of combination of '80s, obviously for the roguelike elements, but the art style seems more like Bastion. But of course, neither of those games are turn-based, so like neither of those comparisons are absolutely, you know, quite correct. So it seems like this is a fun combination of familiar elements packaged in a way that isn't quite like another game that I can draw to mind. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's cool. It's cool. It's definitely worth like. A little bit of time if you're interested in that and then the last one that a lot of people have been talking about obviously is radio the universe i know this has been, been like a crowdfunded for like ages now and people have been really anticipating it it's kind of like game? radio the universe okay it's it's sort of like a, i don't know if i thought to describe like the art style it's kind of like um not, not even a hyper drift it's kind of like a post-apocalyptic punk sort of like Premise, I mean, the pixel art is sort of like hyperlight drifter oh yeah, yeah. Is different but i don't know how you i don't know how you like describe the palette it's very it's very junk like Mod, junkyard type chrome how's that sort of it's grayed out washed out very distorted it reminds you of like i like like original game boy <laughs> but it, but it's very it's like you know obviously like but the gameplay is very like zelda-esque in it its presentation it's very very stylish it has is going for a certain type of aesthetic but at the as in its pursuit of like nailing this type of like kind of junkyard-esque 
type of aesthetic like the way it presents info to you is a little bit obscure at times because it's like trying to fulfill a style and like it kind of clashes like readability at times i don't know if i really liked it it's kind of like a half like for me it kind of got interesting by the end but i don't know i don't know like i can see why people are speedy but i'm just like yeah I don't know what you play that. The upgrade UI is god confusing. It's like you're looking at a broken Game Boy or something. It's like all all distorted messages and then you have to like double check the skill before a subtitle comes out to tell you what it does. Yeah. Like, yeah. It yeah. Confusing. It's 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 weird. So I don't know. But those are that's just a quick, quick, quick rundown of like uh Steve Next Fest demos I'm checking out. obviously whenever Steve Next Fest comes around, I try to play a good chunk of demos because it's kind of like it's sort of like Christmas for me because it gives me a chance to go play like eat a bunch of like upcoming indies and see like all the cool things like in the indies are like developing you know like it's it's prime time for that. The only other thing that I I grabbed a demo from the Steam Next Fest, but I haven't tried it yet, and that's the Dark Envoy. This is like a dark. I don't know much about the game, but it's like a dark high fantasy traditional CRPG. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to try this game out. So I got the demo for that, but I can't say anything more because I haven't played it yet. Maybe by next week, if we get a chance to talk about it between all the other games that are coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I did also play... So this is also kind of jumping ahead with one of the minor announcements of the um, Nintendo Direct. I was playing through some of the Fire Emblem Engage, the second wave of DLC. They, they, they announced that... Soren, Hector, and oh, who's the last one? A third character. Vanilla. Uh, who is it? Vanilla. Everyone's Fire Emblem. Oh, everyone's, oh, everyone's favorite Fire Emblem Fates character. Uh, this, that's one of the games I did not play in the series. We're added to the game, so I figured. So I'm, I have like a, an end game file, quote unquote. So I figured, oh, I'll try these out. Um, and the uh, it's pretty much exactly what you think it is. There are new divine paralog for these. You get a new emblem ring. So now there's like you bit there's if you have all the D- DLC, you have like 17 emblem rings. So you'll never really need to make like one of those generic bond rings again, even though it's kind of fan service to see like Nephany or whoever show up there. There's really no gameplay point to making a non emblem ring anymore. If, if you have the DLC, I've, I've only really messed with Soren, and he his thing is that he has like a long range bolting spell, which is kind of fun because I don't think any of the other emblems have an emblem weapon that is a long range ability. So that's kind of neat. But other than that, it's pretty much uh, just exactly what Lin does. Oh yeah, Lin. Yeah. Okay. So the, I, I, like I the use thing. that. I use that one a lot. So I I feel bad that I missed it. But yeah. So now you have another option for a magic long range ability, which obviously has been a thing in the games for a while with bolting and meteor and things like that. My uh, friend is very happy with the use because he's a big Hector fan. Everyone's big heck. Our <laughs> half of our staff is, and people were like, when they announced this, is like they finally remembered Hector exists. And everyone's it's like, guys, Elliot Lord. I'm like, like who? Ellie who? Ellie Wood. Well, e- well, e- even in his own game, Hector's version of the story has like all the detail, like the full yeah, picture. Like, it's so weird <laughs> how in Fire Emblem Seven, like Hector's version has like extra chapters with extra stuff. So like when you get to that point where you get to choose who you get to play as, like, there's why no not do Hector. Hector. You're also yeah. missing that one of the Pegasus Knights if you don't play as Hector. So there's that too. Yeah. Well, I, I guess we might as well cover the Fire Emblem thing right now since we're on it. Like so they released Wave 2 with Hector, Soren, and Camilla, and then Wave 3 they'll have Chrome and Robin from Awakening is like a, as, a, as a pair uh, in the same ring. So Chrome and Robin will be together, and then they and then as a separate one, they'll have Veronica from Fire Emblem Heroes there. 
Uh, Veronica actually interests me because I guess her perk is like summoning like a random hero on the battlefield. As she first. even has the fire emblems summoning <laughs> UI. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny, actually. Dude, I, I love gotcha in battle. So you summon a fire emblem hero to summon another fire emblem hero? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it actually shows like when you summon them, like it'll show like their their like fire emblem hero stars. Like when they summon mm-hmm. like Ike in the in the trailer, it's like it gives like five stars. Ike. It's like, yep. <laughs> Great. Awesome. And then and then the last wave, wave four for engage expansion pass is like a new story, like the Fel Xenolog new story. So that that's now, a thing. In Xenoblade, which we'll talk about in a bit, there was some there's some avenues we can you know, contemplate where the like an expansion story will go. But Fire Emblem, I have no idea. Three Houses expansion was just like, we randomly have like the underground class of like cave dweller students that just happen to be there the whole time, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's how it was weird. Yeah. Like, they were, they were, that's how they were like kind of pitching it. It's like, yeah, there's like this underground, like, sort yeah, of like yeah, delinquent. Is that what we call them? Cave dwellers? I mean, I call them delinquents. <laughs> People had funny names for them, just like they're just the students that live like in some underground. Climate. I can't even tell you they're like they're, they're like their actual names, like something wolves. I think happy constants. Oh, I was like character names. Uh, I don't remember. Was, I don't remember the class name. Yeah, I was like I was like the fullest of faction name. <laughs> I don't know. Great cave dwellers. That's it. Nailed it. Well, with that, I think we'll go over to the news, and we've kind of we've kind of teased a handful of it. Obviously, most of this is going to be centered around the Nintendo Direct. There's one quick thing that I will shout out before we get to the news. This is another feature that went up on the site, and this is a late review from last year, but Colin Black was able to put up a review for Harvestella. So Harvestella is a game that we've spent a few opportunities late last year talking about on the podcast, because I know I've played through it. I know James has played a bit of it as well, talked about our impressions with it. And then Cullen was able to write up his thoughts and put them up on the site formally as the RPG site review for Harvestella. I'll be honest, though, I have not read his review, but I know that he was speaking pretty promisingly on it in, his, in chat. His, his biggest thing he liked the most about it was the characters and the character writing, which is kind of mimics what you were saying, Brian, earlier when you were talking about it. He really liked the characters and how, how their narratives are written into the game. He said the gameplay itself is just kind of like, fine, it's more of a vehicle for the tone and the characters. And of course the story does kind of go places, but he, the characters are what he was highest on. Yeah. I think the character writing is more, more interesting and impressive than the narrative in that game. But the fact that that game is like a gateway farming sim that leans more JRPG than farming sim in many ways. So you just want to get a taste of the farming sim aspect, but something that plays and behaves a lot more like a standard action JRPG. That's kind of what Harvestella is, which is kind of a niche that isn't occupied by a lot of things. So kind of a nice little spot for it. And I did have it in my top 10 list for last year. So a surprisingly good game that hopefully doesn't fall under the radar. So glad we were able to get up a, a review for it. And then on to the Nintendo Direct. So the Nintendo Direct, obviously, as every Nintendo Direct does, has... Basically, a a lot of news, both expected and surprising, and often in the RPG space or RPG adjacent space. And I could list basically a whole bunch of things as like, what do we talk about first? And I'm going to put out one of the things that I think is probably the most interesting to what I presume our audience is interested in, and that is a remaster announcement for a monolith soft project uh, product, Bait and Kaitos One and Two HD Remaster announced for Nintendo Switch releasing this summer. 
So I do know that this is a series that a few of us here have thought very highly of, aren't ever sure that we'd ever see again, or I say series, at least one of the game in this in this duology of games. So Adam, I know that you've played both of these games. When you hear about an HD remaster for Bait and Kaitos and Bait and Kaitos Origins, what's your impression of that? This is going to sound really pathetic, oh, but okay. my first immediate thought is that it's not releasing on PC, and I'm like, bummed <laughs> out about it. Like, it's a monolith soft game. It's also, well, the thing is, is like, I, I thought there was a chance it could release on PC because it's like a Bandai Namco published game. Like, Bandai Namco is the one who sends out, like, the press release and the assets for this, not Nintendo. Um, the developers of this game are, there's actually two, it's co-developed. It's Monolith Soft, which everyone knows, and Tri-Crescendo, which not everyone knows. It kind of spun off of tri so a long time ago. I thought even though Monolith Soft is a Nintendo developer, I thought there was a chance that this game could be multi-platform, but it's not. It's Switch only. And I, I know this might sound, like, shallow of me, but that kind of bums me out. Like, oh, I have to buy it on Switch? Okay. Anyways. Adam has reached that stage. <laughs> so, Baton Kaitos, for those who aren't aware, is a duology that released on Nintendo GameCube, I believe in 2003 and 2006. So, Baton Kaitos 1 and Baton Kaitos 2. Now, Baton Kaitos 2, which is what is known as in Japan, is actually a prequel. Like, literally a prequel in every sense of the word. And so, in the West, it was referred to as Baton Kaitos Origins. I know both of these games released in North America. I don't know if either released in Europe. I know at least one of them didn't. So that's good for European fans. They'll get a chance to play both games for the first time, like as an official release in their region. So these games are, they're, they're, they kind of lean closer to like a more traditional, typical Japanese RPG in terms of like, like you get a, you get a party, you go on an adventure. It is sort of turn-based. But what these games are is they're like card-based RPGs. And the battle system between the two games is pretty different. I won't go into all the details now. But the first the first game has more of like a phase-based, like attack phase, defense phase, sort of card battling system, where the second game is more of like this paced, real-time. You get a deck, you put cards together to have like a hand that creates a combo. And I think the second game, which is Baton Kaitos Origins, I think that game's like combat stylings and battle system and like design around that is honestly really really good like it's excellent it's my probably my favorite monolith soft game better than any xenosaga or xenoblade or whatnot now these two games uh so we learned that the switch or the, that the remaster is coming to switch it will be japanese voice only that's interesting in a sense because the original Baton Kaitos has a legendary bad English dub, like extremely bad, very, very poor. You, you know so what's it's not... funny though? If you buy the Japanese version, the intro is in English. And it's not the English, like it's, not, I... it's different from the English version. Yeah, the official <laughs> English version is worse than what was shown in the original Japanese opening English. Somehow they got worse English voice actors in the official version i don't know how that works the fact that these games aren't dual audio because they're japanese only the reason why that's disappointing is because of baton kaito's origins that game has an extremely good english localization and english dub it was done by 8.4 and almost everything done by 8.4 is well done like near for instance but internal wings is a different story yeah so it's kind of like it's no big deal for one of the games but kind of a big bummer for the other so japanese voice only on nintendo switch I believe they put up a they put up a Q and A for it, like 1080p, 30 FPS. 
you know, it's a port of a GameCube game. And what's what's really bizarre is the is the text languages because for the first game they have English, French, Italian, German, and Spanish, and then for Origins it's only English for that one. I wonder if the was the original game released in Europe and maybe they translated it way back when. I don't. Let me check. I don't know. I, if I remember right, Origin is the one that never made it to Europe. So maybe. But maybe it. the original game was translated to other languages before. I apologize. I don't. I don't know which of these translations are perhaps new or not. Yeah. Yeah. So the original game. Okay, I checked. The original game did release in Europe back in two thousand five. So perhaps they had translations from back then. I'll just, I'll just admit I don't know. So Origins, which is in my opinion the better game of the two, was North America only. The other element of these games that is kind of unique to them, which I think not a lot of RPGs do, Western or Japanese, is they use this sort of card system in every aspect of the game where you get items, consumable items, quest items, kind of collectible items, and everything is everything is embodied and envisioned as a card. And there's a little bit of an adventure game element to this where you can use cards in certain places like in the world, on the map, in cities, to do quests to like get new items and things like that, almost like a point and click in to a very small degree. And I think that that's very interesting the way that, that these worlds are built and how like this card system that's both used in battle and outside of battle is used. I feel so, I feel bad for mentioning this, but the way you're describing that is all I can think of since I didn't know anything about Baden Kaidos's uh, gameplay before now. That just sounds like Paper Mario Sticker Star, <laughs> not as better than that for sure. <laughs> it inspired the Xenoblade 2 field skills. Every time when I think of a cards battle system, I think FGO, Fate Grand Order. Oh, oh boy. So, like, when they're thinking about, like, what are, like, like the new features of this game, oh, yeah. right? They, 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 they said, they, hey, you can turn off the encounters you want. There's auto battle. You can skip the cutscenes. Auto save now. So, you know, just, you know, basic, you know, accessible stuff, accessible features for, for people. They said there's, like, no new content. They're introducing in these versions, so there's not like you know, any tacked on stuff. And you know, it looks it's not like completely remade graphics. It looks you know, it looks higher res, but it looks like as you remember it, you know. So it looks cleaner, it looks sharper. Uh it that's I don't I don't know if they have like any future plans of like, hey, how well like I I wonder how well this will like do, you know, because I think I think on so on some level it's coming out at an opportune time when people are like kinda they're more accepting of like card-based battle systems opposed to like when these were first like released. I think the audio, the the modern market now is like more open to that style. But like you know how things like Slay the Spire, Monster Train, all sorts of other card-based battle systems, even even stuff like Hearthstone, you know, like people like cards now more than they did back then for mm-hmm. in video games. I'm gonna say I don't remember the game being very successful back then. Yeah, that's the thing. So I but but I wonder now, like you pair that up now with Monolith Soft being way bigger than they were back then and more well known back then as well. I wonder, you know, hopefully, hopefully this finds its audience and does, you know, I'm sure it'll do better than it did back then. I wondered, does this tells them that they would do a Xenosaga remaster down the line? Maybe Xenosaga might be weirder because it's, I think. Didn't well, we have hands in Baton Kaitos, and they don't have their hand in Xenos. Yeah. So, well, we, there was that tweet from like three years ago, where was it? Was it Harada? It yeah. was Harada, yeah. That basically said, like, yeah, we looked at, we did the market survey on a Xenosaga remaster, and basically the numbers don't add up. So, Would the I numbers see, not add up for this as well? <laughs> well, well, maybe this was not Bandai's decision. Maybe it was Nintendo's. I don't know. 
I think there's an avenue at least, right? It's not, it's not like it's not like completely off the table where they won't work with Bandai Namco again. At least this like shows like, hey, they're ready to collaborate with Bandai Namco on releasing a product, you mm-hmm. know, again, if anything, right? So if knows? anything, so, like if anything, if this is successful or even moderately so, it potentially could give Bandai a reason to look at it again. I'll put, I guess I'll put yes. it that way. Yeah, <laughs> so, I guess. Yeah, that's the most charitable way of looking at it. Yeah. So it's this is a cool like you know this announcement is like kind of very heavily rumored like a few weeks yeah, back right? but it was because of, of trademarks and it, things like that yeah but it's definitely one of the most like no fucking way types types of announcements and then it came out and then they announced like wow holy shit that I think it was like almost probably maybe one or two years ago there was that trademark and the thing with trademarks is that very frequently a trademark renewal can just be like. We are literally just renewing it just to hold on to it. It can be an old yeah. franchise. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah. In this case, the reason why there was a little bit of an eyebrow raise more so than normal is that it was trademarked in Europe. And it's like, wait a minute. Bat and Kaito's Origin never released in Europe. Why would they have a trademark? So we'll see. That's this other. We know why. So. The next announcement that I have listed from the Nintendo Direct is game announcement. And that is for Fantasy Life I, the girl who steals time. Am I pronouncing that right? Or is that I like a stylish stick thing? I'm not I'm not 100% sure. But Fantasy I just Life. I assumed it was an imaginary number I. Okay. Fantasy I'm Life, the girl who steals time, was announced being published by Level 5 and is uh, basically a follow up to the original Fantasy Life from Nintendo 3DS over a decade ago. In- Wait a second, Brian. Wait a second. What? Level five is publishing a game in English. What? What? The comeback what a- story of level <laughs> five, guys. What about Yokai Watch Four? Are we still getting that? They announced it, right? So, so here's the thing. Josh swears that they announced the Yokai Watch Four. I, I, I am doubting you. Jesus Christ! Look, <laughs> did at an anime they, expo panel. They did. There's no evidence of this. Seriously, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And I feel like I'm the only one who ever fucking mentioned it in the public. And like the only people that will were like like will support that are the people who are actually there. No, and I know, that's I know the, a few other people who are in that room. But they're the only people who could say who can say that it's it, ever happened. I, I, I swear, it's like it's like. <laughs> One of those things that, like, you get told enough that, like, you get gaslighted enough that, like, so you didn't happen, dude. I'm like, was that dude, oh, my God. <laughs> it's like a group hallucination. For those who are maybe confused, <laughs> Level 5 at Anime Expo, like, five years ago or whenever it was, did announce Yokai Watch getting localized. But that was literally, like, a month or maybe not even a month before they, like, they like shut down the Level 5 Abbey, which was their localization team. So... They never released a press release. They never put up a video. They never tweeted about it. But they apparently announced it at a panel that the Yokai Watch Four was getting localized. And of course, we all know it never did. So, like they said, they said like, don't please don't take any like photos or videos. So I was like, I was respecting that. And in, in hindsight, I should just fucking take the video. I should fuck you. Level five had a pretty. Pre- they had a presence in this Nintendo Direct that like everyone expected. This Fantasy Life game, of course, being the first title that we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, like the rest. I feel like if there was like one like takeaway from this Nintendo Direct, it's just the corpse of like level five, like rising from the ashes like a glorious phoenix. Cause it's like, I've holy shit, where did this of you know various coffins? You know, people <laughs> were, were they really actually dead? They were doing yes. that, you know, Cooney. Okay, okay, okay. That Cooney Mo probably saved them. What was the what was the last level five game you played? Dragon Quest eight, guys. 
That doesn't count. So yeah. Okay. Well, okay. Here, here's a thought experiment, Adam. What was the last level five game you played? What was the last level five game you enjoyed? Played? Mm-hmm. It would literally have to be like Rogue Galaxy. I did I I never played White Knight Chronicles. I never hey. played Yokai Watch. I don't I didn't play like any of the Layton games. Did you play Nino Kuni too? Oh, I did play Nino Kuni. Yeah, oh, okay. so I played those. And both Nino Kuni games are like eh. Okay, so what was the last mid-level five game you enjoyed? Probably I think Rogue Galaxy is okay. I know some people love it. I don't love it. Dark Cloud 2 is also okay. <laughs> I'm going to say like the PS2 era, level 5 made okay games. Great. Sorry, I'm not a huge level 5 game. <laughs> I feel like I've already like, laid down the path of like level 5 games we're about to discuss. They're like, well, you know, level 5. <laughs> well, well, Adam, it's understandable. You did not have a Nintendo DS in middle school, which means you never, you never saw the vision with Professor Layden. You had no childhood. Look, man, I'm is just this, saying, is, yeah, it, is this where I chime in and say the DS came out when I was in high school? <laughs> Hell yeah. So, look, I'm just saying, no one here is a true Mega Level 5 fan, okay? If you were all true Level 5 fans, you would be, be playing Megaton Musashi right now, but you're not. You would be playing the Nino Kuni MMO and spending tons of crypto right now. But I watched the later movie, does that count? <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> be clear that, that Nino Kuni MMO is like, Operated by Netmarble, but of course, you know, level five has like license. I mean, that's, that's the IP owner, yeah. If you were a level five fan, you would remember that mobile game that they shut down that had Inafune on it, right? You would, you, would remember, you would remember that MMO or that mobile game and have fond memories of it. Like, yeah, that was. Oh, people. hey, fun fact. Fun fact. The specific part of level five developing this fantasy life game is actually concept. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. See, we wrapped it back around. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, here, like firsthand familiar with Fantasy Life. I know some yeah. people who really love Fantasy Life. I've never played it myself. I, I never played a Fantasy Life. I'll, I, I'll be honest. I think I played the demo on the 3DS, but never got the full game. I think we need like Paige for that. I think she's the Fantasy Life uh, expert on RPG site. The last, the last I heard of Fantasy Life was the mobile game. <laughs> yes. uh, one of one of our staff friends over at Touch Arcade, Sean. He made the hot take that Fantasy Life is the only good game that Level 5 has ever made. Mm. That's the hearts. Well, well, I mean, look, I'm willing to believe that. You know? I, I, I trust that dude's opinions. So I'm I'm sure Fantasy Life is a good game. Well, look, I'm thinking about like the last like the Level 5 game I enjoyed. Like, like I meme about White Knight Chronicles too, because my, my brain is broken. I I because I was a, I was a level, White Knight Chronicles online player who did like all the weapon proficiencies. And like Stockholm syndrome, my, injured myself into like liking and like yeah, I'd love to grind. It's it's great. What are you talking about? You know. About just, to be, just to be fair, I know a lot of people do love like the latent games, which they did announce another one of those. Of course, we won't cover it. Not really in our wheelhouse. And I know a lot of people like the fantasy life games. I just don't want to be you know so down on you know. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also one of those things that like, as rpg players that like have played a good bunch of level 5 games in the past like like me and you and adam like it's probably unfair to like modern level 5 now but like our expectations are kind of like oh it's level 5 okay <laughs> like, I, don't, like, I don't know how people have such a negative experience with them don't they have i don't know like what was the last level 5 game you enjoyed chow Dragon Quest Nine? Does that count? Yeah, I know DQ Eight was, but I don't know about Nine. But okay, okay, Nine had very fun gameplay to me. I just <laughs> fucking hated the story. 
That was like I, the last level five game I love was like twenty years ago. Man, level five noted developer. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Like I've never played lane games. I'm too stupid to solve these puzzles, so I'm not a puzzle man. So you, you know, you know what? You know what's the real answer? John Dark. There you go. I, people game. like John Dark. I do not. It's very unbalanced. The five orb characters are way like there's no reason to use anyone else. I remember Godspeed, and I'm like, okay, this is a good game. (laughs) But yes, you're right. This is very unbalanced. Anyway, fantasy life. What's going on? Fantasy life, right? Well, I was actually gonna say, like, I believe John to Arc, a game I've never played, but it's one of the few games that its English box art is like miles above its Japanese box art. Yep. Mm-hmm. But that's that's uh, I haven't played the game, so I could only I could literally only judge this by its cover. I, is it I, is it feasible to like re-release John Dark, or is like is it just too fucked up and like who, whoever was involved with it? Who even published it? Was it Level Five? It's Sony. Oh, Sony. Yeah, right. oh. It's it's gone. <laughs> it's done. Hey, that means it might show up. <laughs> that, that, they have to make a TV series out of it first for a movie, and then it'll be relevant again. What about time travelers? Uh, it's fucked too, probably. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, I'll play that in some form in English. Uh, but yeah, John to Arc is the one game where if you look at the two box arts and you don't know anything about it, you would assume that the, the boring plain Jane one is the US one and the Japanese one, but they're not. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, I don't know. Any- yep. oh, <laughs> I don't know okay, anything about Fantasy Life, but yeah, we got Fantasy Life. I, the girl who steals time will launch worldwide in 2023. It is a Switch exclusive. Um, Yay. They've got a new trailer for it. Build your own city, go on an adventure on a new island, explore the island with with whatever life occupation suits you, travel between the past and present to unravel the mysteries of this ruined island. So, yeah, this and the, most, uh, and the most important one, popular character to the series, make a return. Ooh. Maybe one popular fantasy life character right now, Brian. People who are fantasy life fans have their favorite characters. Uh-huh. I'm like Nicholas. <laughs> I just <laughs> like a fantasy life name. Nicholas. <laughs> My favorite fantasy like <laughs> character, Nicholas. Is there a guy named Fred? Oh no, dude. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, and that's me. Like everything about this game seems really charming. Got a new trailer for it. It's got that fun little cutesy art style. Like I really don't want to be like I don't I don't want to be like bagging on the blind spot. Yeah, yeah. We're we're fucking stupid. Yeah, all the biggest fantasy life fans. Comment, comment at us. Tell us what we're missing. Which fantasy life games should we be playing, and who should be our favorites? So if you have strong feelings. Yeah, you get back at us. So while we're on the level five topic, so they announced another RPG at this Nintendo Direct, and this is called Deca Police. This is a crime suspense RPG set to release this year in 2023 for Nintendo Switch and PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5. I got a new announcement trailer for this. It's a little 90-second teaser trailer. Details are pretty sparse, but the the tagline on the trailer on YouTube is play the role of a futuristic police detective and solve difficult crimes in this detective story from level five. You'll explore a vast open world and experience the fun deductive reasoning of Deca Police, which launches Nintendo Switch later this year. Also coming to PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5, Mm-hmm. It took me a while to realize that yes, those are coming out in English too. It's kind of hard to find English level five information because they better. Yeah, so so I have one one question: Where did they find the money to like publish this themselves worldwide? I, uh, Nino Kuni Mobile Game. It's the only explanation. It's got to be. So this is funded by. <laughs> yeah, it's funded by crypto. Guys. Let's go. 
but seriously, like, where else would it come from? I have no idea. Like, do they have an Inazuma Eleven making bank or a Yokai Watch making bank in Japan right now? <laughs> Any anyway, no, Yokai uh, Watch? Like, I I remember like uh, that same person we we're talking about, Sean. Like saying like he like uh, doesn't he like teach in japan or something he used to i'm not sure if he still does but he, he had like an anecdote and this was probably like three or four years ago now where he teaches like kindergarten grade school age and he put like yokai watch stickers on like their homework or whatever and like students you know these are kids were like started to groan like even japanese kids were like yokai watch You're like okay oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny as fuck <laughs> oh yokai watch oh that's so funny to he visualize was, like has like a neat like kind of tone and vibe to it it's like very jazzy it's kind of you know like urban you know we got that crime like there's like this uh, investigation system they showed like suspects and like evidence and whatnot obviously i don't know exactly how it works and then it has like a turn-based battle system to go along with it uh, kind of a charming art style kind of a very i was kind of joking one of our translators was kind of joking that he knew it was level five before they even announced it was level five, just because of how it looked. <laughs> just how um, it looked, yeah. Yeah, and you know, it looks really charming. So it's like, hey, I'm curious about this. You know, yeah, it's, it's like you play as a special. Not the biggest level five unit. fan, but you know, I'm curious about this game. It looks kind of yeah, it, like and I guess like the you know the whole thing about the special investigations units, like they can like access the virtual reality that just mimics like the real world, and like they have like access to like furry forms. I I don't know what how if there's a terminology for it, but they turn into like animals. And like and like the, the like the battle system is like a turn based battle system where you can like do some form of movement. It looks slick. Like if if nothing else, it looks slick. And like it's probably the most promising looking level five game in a very long time. <laughs> so I mean, good luck. I mean, I really want to check this out. It looks it looks awesome, but I have no idea what to expect from level like what a modern level five console RPG looks like these days. And again, that's Deca Police. Coming out at some point this year. So I'm guessing we're going to have a pretty quick marketing ramp up for this game. As of right now, we're really only sitting on a teaser trailer. Obviously, we've got that linked in our news post for the for the game. And as more information comes out, uh, there is also a, uh, I guess a handful of screenshots alongside. Uh, a couple other announcements that came out of the uh, Nintendo Direct. Here's one that we'll talk about because we kind of talked about this series earlier. And here's a series that I think a few people were wondering what the future of was of. And that is... Etrian Odyssey. So Atlas has announced that the Etrian Odyssey Origins Collection will launch for Nintendo Switch and PC on June 1st. This is a remastered triple pack of the first three Etrian Odyssey dungeon crawlers. So Adam, I presume you've already played all three of these? Uh, yeah, I played these original versions and I played the remakes on and two. I only played the original. I never played, I never did the remakes that had like the story mode thing. All right, so, 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 so tee this up for me. I, I didn't realize one and two already had remakes. So I, so these are going to be remasters of the one and two remakes plus a remaster uh, of three. No, like, so okay, okay. So the original three Etrian Odyssey games released on Nintendo DS. Okay. The first two games got remakes on Nintendo 3DS. These are remasters of the original. Okay. Yeah. Of the remake. So I these know. Aren't like oh. remasters of a remake. These are remasters of the original. I remember back in the day that people were pissed at like. True Odyssey 3 didn't get a remake on 3DS because it was the only one that wasn't on 3DS because yeah. 1, 2, 4, 5, and Nexus were on 3DS. And people were like, 3, for a lot of people, it's the best one. Yeah, what you know, 3 is the best one. Like, 3 is one of the best ones. Yeah, it's one of the yeah. pretty good. Also, Brian, I just wanted to say, I, 
I love how you forgot that one month where Adam just went insane and went through the entirety of the Etrian Odyssey series in like six weeks. Yeah. yeah. Damn the madman. So are you gonna are you gonna play him again? I might. So here's here's my question to you. To me? Here's my question to you. Why would you spend forty dollars to buy Persona three and Persona four when you could spend forty dollars just to play Etrian Odyssey one? Well, there's, Wait, here's what? the weird thing, right? Like, okay, I'm, so I'm, jo- I'm making a joke here. The pricing on these games is a little bit, like, admittedly, kind of eyebrow raising. Uh, my joke is, is that you can buy Persona three and four for twenty dollars each. Is the pricing on these Etrian Odyssey games? If you buy them as a pack, like as a triple pack on either Switch or Steam, it's eighty dollars. So a little bit more expensive than a, tri- a traditional packaged game. Obviously, it's three games, but still, they're three old games, and it's eighty dollars. So that's one. But then, like, if you buy them individually on Steam, they're $40. And it's just kind of like Etrian Odyssey 1 for $40. That seems like... I feel like you're getting scammed yeah, you know, mean, for I 40 mean, bucks. I mean, 80 for all three is, like, not yeah, good, you, but at least it's all right. But yeah, it's, it's still not great. Yeah, for sure. Like, there's really obviously no reason to buy them individually because you can buy... You basically get this price point if you buy the triple pack you're kind of getting one for free if we're assuming they're 40 dollars each honestly like my like my recommendation to people like straight up it's just like buy extra odyssey 3 alone for 40 bucks you don't need to like play the previous ones you're good or you really do good. just get the remake on free ds and he doesn't have one is, yeah he no, doesn't well, have one oh we just talked about this no no <laughs> i'm told is yeah, well, well here well I know a lot of people that prefer the original Etrian Odyssey 1 and 2 to Untold. And I yeah. can understand why, because first off, Etrian Odyssey 1 Untold has a whole issue where it's like, okay, if you want to play the game as it was originally intended without the story, you don't get the new content. And then Etrian Odyssey 2 Untold, apparently the bosses, even in, again, the classic mode, have been like rebalanced based off of the new titular like job that... So it's like, the boss fights aren't hard, but they're HP bloated up like up the butt and it's like annoying it's always about that anyways i mean yeah odyssey is an excellent dungeon crawler i thought i was talking about dungeon crawlers earlier with galleria so of course i love that train odyssey one thing that's really interesting about these is uh, i saw on the press release that they have like remastered music and what they mean by that so these music in these games is like synth music like pc88 and it's got a really cool style to it. I actually really love the PC-88 versions. I know a lot of people love like the orchestrated music of the later games, but I love the, like, the synth style of the original. So when they said it was remastered, I kind of like, I was hesitant for a bit. Like, oh no, what did they do to the music? But Yuzo Koshiro, who is uh, the composer for these games and a legend, like a living legend, literally, he is involved with these directly. He's the one that remastered them on a PC-88, and he was specifically like, you know, thinking like if it's coming out, I want these to sound good. If they're coming out of like the switch speakers without, you know, headphones, I want to make sure they sound good. Honestly, there's like one, like one follow that you need to have on Twitter. It has to be Yuzo Koshiro's Twitter account because he, oh, he always puts up clips of like him messing with audio equipment and like yeah. clear, concise, like what he's doing. Like, he can like just listen to it and you can hear like this, how he tests sound. It's yep. awesome. And uh, so he's the one who like, Still the same style of music, but he, you know, cleaned it up. And like I said, he's like trying, he's putting an effort to make sure it sounds good from the Switch if you're not playing with headphones or with headphones or what have you. Uh, Obviously, the original games were DS, so it was different speakers. And uh, he even composed a new track for Etrian Odyssey 3. I might get the details wrong, but I believe the sixth stratum 
battle track in Entry Odyssey 3 was a re it was just like borrowed from an earlier game. I don't quite remember the specifics, but anyways, he's basically rectifying that wrong and saying, "Hey, I'm just making a new battle track for the Six Stratum, which is typically what they have." So he made a new battle track even. Also, let me mention that like Yuzo Koshiro's English is really good. Like he actually he's really good. English like him speaking English about the release. He's completely fluent. Yeah. Yeah, he's very good. Like even not even much of an accent really. And he tweets a lot in English, so it's really cool for fans like me to see his like genuine thoughts on these sorts he, of games. He like loves just like you can tell like he's just always been passionate about audio. Yeah. Yeah. And like it's, it's just he's just amazing. Okay. So Adam, what do you think about uh, the Etchian Odyssey's team and like their their existential existential moral dilemma on display modes? Because there's two distinct display modes in the, in this uh, these remasters. Blunt. They're doing their best. <laughs> I'm gonna be blunt here. There are plenty of dungeon crawlers that have maps that you access separately from the game. It's like so Etrian Odyssey is just gonna be look a little bit more like that. I know it's Etrian Odyssey is obviously a little bit different. It always has been because in the original releases you kinda like create it yourself with the with the stylus, so you can't do that anymore. Well, not in the same way anyway. So that's not really a concern for me. For me, I think. For me, I think it's like it's really it's one to me. I feel their moral existential dilemma. Like they have like okay for people who don't know like they're they're doing one mode which is like your more standard modern mode which is like they have like the whole thing white green, whole display, and then it's like your typical. And then you you see the the map at like a small mini map at the top right corner, and you can have it auto map for you as you're exploring around. Typically, like in in the games, like when they were back originally on the DS and stuff, you like create your own maps using the stylus. You would like kind of drag and drop items as you're like filling out the map. Like, oh, here's the treasure chest. Here's like a like a danger zone, or et cetera, et cetera. Here's a door. Here's a staircase. So they have like a second display mode, which is like kind of more in tune with that original style of presentation, where sixty percent of like the screen is like where you would typically see like the game as you're wandering around they're like the remaining 40 percent is split up between icons at like the top right corner and like the bottom right is like where your actual map is so it's like trying to emulate like hey if you still want to like create your own map you can still do it like this so like and like you can see that the etrian odyssey team has been like okay we're not on dual screens anymore <laughs> it's time we gotta we gotta make this <laughs> oh shit oh no oh no what do we do <laughs> yeah. oh. so i mean I have to imagine, you know, this is that this is like kind of their, their first ramp up till like their first like till their new entry into Etrian Odyssey and you know series. Like, I believe they even said in one of the magazine announcements covering this that they're looking for feedback on these games mm-hmm. to literally use it towards like the next game. Yeah. Like, they're, hey, they're... tell us what you think about how we structured this, and you know, depending on how well people like it or not, you know, we'll take that into consideration as we make Etrian Odyssey seven or whatever they're going to number it. So. Yeah, I mean, what if the Etrian ad- Odyssey game is the last title on uh, Switch, like it was the last title on 3DS. <laughs> oh fuck! Well, you know, time is a flat circle, I guess. I, I mean, I'm excited to you know pl- play these. I mean, I guess I'll, I'll get like still the bundle because I still like the Etrian Odyssey series, but like I, the pricing is, I don't know, yeah, the pricing it, is something else. I remember Etrian Odyssey like one on DDS. Or DDS. Yes. <laughs> Digital Devil Saga. Yeah. Shout out. Anyways, how much did that cost at release? Like, was that 40 or 30? I don't yeah. know. It was I a DS know. game, so I think it was 
40. Right. Well, it's yeah. 40 again. Yeah. But, so. it, but I mean, I'll buy it to support their cause, you know? Sure. So when this was announced, my immediate thought was, oh, that's nice, but I don't need to replay these again. But then as I like slept on it, I'm like, I want to replay these again. They're, they are, they're also, you know, adding like, you know, some uh, oh, DLC, char- the, yeah, DLC character portraits. I, I think you get that like if you like pre-order the game or like, pre-purchase the game and then they'll sell them separately after like, they're like crossover for Atlas characters. So on the first uh, Train Odyssey, you can get Joker from Persona 5 and Ringo from Soul Hackers 2. Yeah, Ringo. Yeah. And then I th- think and the other ones are like, in the second is like, Demi Fiend from Nocturne and Teddy from Persona 4. And then, like, the other ones is like Nahubino from like SFT5 and like Igus from Persona 3. <laughs> and uh, and Odyssey 3, which is interesting, I guess. Sure. There's also, a couple of new other portraits that they just added. Yeah. And those are free. Like, that, that's like already yeah, in the game. In the game. Yeah. Right. The, the, the only ones that like are like paid for after its release is like the crossover ones. Remember? Hey, remember? I forgot which uh, actually in Aussie, if this Nexus or Five, where they had a portrait of that character from that um that that upcoming game that they were work uh, that they were um was it the oh, fantasy refantasy project yeah. refantasy? Yeah, I think that was Five, or was it Nexus? Yeah, I think it was Five. It's either Five or Nexus. It's got to be one of those. Oh, that was so sick! <laughs> so, yeah, we're gonna have this uh character that we're teasing that we're definitely gonna release this game one day. It's definitely gonna come out in the next year or two. It's that was like, just so funny sometimes. Where's that character? I want that character portrait here. Where the fuck's that character? Never There's a very real chance that we're going to get the next Vanillaware title before we see uh, that that game. Do you think Project Re Fantasy is still alive? No. <laughs> I feel like I remember that fucking name games. I'm like, what the fuck was it called? I feel like that I think, I think the funny, or I think the thing that was like, I don't know if this is funny or amusing or just weird. It was like they made that new team for Project Re Fantasy and like Studio Zero or something. Yeah, this is what they're gonna work on. And then like almost immediately after they did that, like, well, actually, we're gonna have that team make the Catherine remake first. You're like, okay, I guess okay. they're putting Re Fantasy aside for Catherine remake. And then I think, and that, that, I think they did that to get them used to the engine because it runs on their like internal. Okay. Yeah, that. So that. Well, actually, that, no. That, doesn't full body that, use like. A different engine entirely. I don't know about the engine. I think it's, but all I know is that that team, which is like Studio Zero within Atlas, which was made for this Project Re Fantasy, they did the Catherine remake first, which is a little bit weird, but that's what they decided to do. And they haven't done anything since in terms of like tangible. So cool. (laughs) I guess (laughs) it's good. I feel like they're another. That's like, oh yeah, Studio Zero is like totally like helping uh, the Etrian team out in this for the release. <laughs> can you imagine? I'm, I'm not saying that's the case, but can you imagine that's like the, as a postmortem, they're like, yeah. <laughs> now, for a question for those people that own the original DS version, would you sell your original DS version of the There's no physical game? copy of this. There's an Asian copy. No, no, no. I'm talking about Etrian, honestly. The first. Would you sell it to buy, to get funding to buy the, the new remasters? I'll keep it. Probably know. not. Yeah, I have my team on there. I can't just sell them. Also, right? there's just some. There's just something about like actually being able to use your like stylus to just like write it down. Like that's another thing that pisses me off. Apparently, so there's a physical copy for this in Japan. It comes with a capacitive stylus, so you can actually do it like God intended. Atlas, what the hell? Bring <laughs> that over. <laughs> yeah, to be clear, this game is digital only in North America and Europe. It has a Japanese version and it also has an Asian version. 
I don't know if the Asian version has English. I'm going to assume it does. It seems like these SKUs are usually pretty diverse <laughs> these days, but I don't know for sure. Yeah, no didn't actual like, Atlas, release in the West. Didn't Atlas straight up like make their own like a uh, like a new shop that they use for the limited edition for uh, Soul Hackers 2? Why not just have a limited print run for this collection through your shop? Just oh, come I, on. You should you should go email Atlas. <laughs> There are a few other things that came out of the Nintendo Direct that are worth talking about. And one of them is, this is a bit of a strange one because it was not announced in the English language version of the Nintendo Direct, but was confirmed to get, be getting an English release. And this is a Gust title, and that is a remake of the original Atelier game. This is Atelier, Re Atelier Marie remake, The Alchemist of Salberg. So, so the original game, The Alchemist of Salberg, came out in 1997 for the original PlayStation. And this remake is basically like a 25th anniversary commemorative title that is releasing in English for not only Switch, but also PlayStation 4 and 5 and PC. Pretty clear this is the first time it's ever got an official localization. Yes, yeah, it is. There is an English patch, though. Yeah, there's a there's a patch, but as far as official releases go, this is the first time. That's and it is fucking cool. It's listed for this year, 2023, which is crazy because well, not maybe not crazy, but like well, they clearly have like two different Atelier teams here. Yeah, because 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 Rise of Three is also coming out in March. Even more, so. they probably have like three or four like internal teams and guests working on different projects at the same time. This is an interesting one because it's like totally different art style from like you know recent Atelier games. It's like it's kind of like a chibi. It has like the um. It has like the brilliant diamond shining pearl sort of sort of I've seen people joke that it looks like I've seen people joke that it looks like brilliant diamond shining pearl. Nice, like not quite the same, but Link's Awakening. Okay. Um, oh yeah, yeah, it's got that switch. It looks, it looks yeah, though, because like because it has that for the Indian character models, and then for the actual like character interaction, it's kind of like almost almost like a refined life, yeah, refined like live two D sort of uh, interactions. Sure, I mean like interesting way to like kind of commemorate like where the series came from you know i mean it's a long due for i'm that. just on the wikipedia page for this game because I, I don't know a whole lot about it other than that it's the first atelier game and i like this plot i know like atelier plots are usually more like lighthearted, not like hero's journey save the world sort of things but i like this plot synopsis marie is a 19 year old student living in Salberg, a make-believe city an evil style city she is the worst student in her entire class and at the risk of expulsion however her teacher offers her a chance at salvation marie is given her own atelier in which she is given five years to produce something outstanding that's the plot yep standard atelier plot but i mean i wonder i couldn't really read like info on like the remake but i wonder what they're gonna do like that time because i know a lot of contention and like the atelier immunity is like you know, older Atelier games were like had those time limits. About you know, recent Atelier games have really eased up on time limits. Yeah, well. I have no idea how the time limits worked in these older games. I know how they worked in like like the like the PS3 era, but I don't know about like the this like first game. I have no idea. One thing I do remember is with the older games, they usually like to sell as like a dual pack with the other one, the Atelier Melly as well, with Mary together. Yeah, so Atelier Mary came out on PlayStation, and then when it was re-released on like Sega Saturn, I think, or Dreamcast, maybe it had like it was bundled with the next game, which was Atelier Ellie. Is this I getting uh, is this getting a global yes. like simultaneous? Okay. We don't know if it's simultaneous for sure. Okay, um, they said it's coming out in summer, and the Japanese release is also coming out in summer. Sophie was a, a simultaneous, right? And Ryza is simultaneous, right? So I Ryza. 
three will be simultaneous. Yeah, okay. Sophie, so, so, Sophie was the first one that was simultaneous. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's probably if it looks like they're, they're on that track now. So. Interesting. Okay. Now, they didn't release a lot of details about this game yet, in, especially in English, but they're doing a, a live stream at the end of the month where they'll presumably release a lot more details. So That's cool. Well, no, that, that this is there's a good like path to go further to go on right after Rise of Three, you know, and like hey, you know what, like for something for like longtime fans, like this is a really cool like thing that they're doing. <laughs> Honestly, I really love like when like older games kind of like get a second shot at life, especially ones that have never been officially lo- localized. Like I, I dig that so much. This was a little bit teased earlier when we were talking about the Fire Emblem Engage DLC. But we also got a trailer for the upcoming last two waves for the Xenoblade Chronicles 3 expansion pass. And this one was kind of interesting because obviously we've had expansion passes waves one and two. So this gave us a date for expansion pass three. That is, sorry, wave three of the expansion pass, which is coming out on February 15th. This introduces a new hero named Masha, who is a gem cutter who basically can craft accessories. But of course, our favorite, our favorite part of Xenoblade Three accessories, right? Yeah. Uh, but but of course, the the slightly more interesting part of this trailer is that it did did give us a tease for the Wave Four, the expansion pass, which we always knew just based on the eShop listing that this was going to be the whatever this game's Torna, quote unquote, was. So we got a little bit of a like a thirty second tease. I almost want to say like it's a spoiler, but it's. It's in the trailer. Really? So, okay, I'll, I'll just say it this way. Characters from Xenoblades 1 and 2 in adult form are at the end of this expansion pass trailer suggested that they're going to be playing a role in Wave 4 of the Xenoblade Chronicles 3 expansion pass. However, there is also an, a screen cap that says that this is a brand new story with a brand new cast. So it seems like so it seems like the Wave Four major story DLC for for Xenoblade Chronicles Three will be a new story with a new cast, but somehow tie in characters and plot lines from Xenoblades One and Two. Be careful That's, who you make fun of in middle school. Okay, yeah, I'm gonna say, <laughs> so fucking dude, it has Shulk with a fucking red cape and his fucking Monado, and you have a fucking jacked fucking Rex dual wielding Pyra and Mithra. Yeah. <laughs> You do, and you're going up against something that looks like Alvis. Shit's nuts. Okay, what the fuck is going on? And you have you have like Proto Noah at the very end out of nowhere. Like, like we we speculate this is probably like sort of like the founders of the city, uh, Xenoblade Three, because like you know the they match the, up the, with the statues and... exactly. Yeah, like they they look much like the statues in the, at the city. Like, I, like look, it's been long enough since Xenoblade Three. Like, we're all friends here, and you know that's how it is. Nintendo showed it in the direct. We're free to fucking discuss it. Well, I mean, if you check the statue, it mentions some descriptions that are mm-hmm. not exactly matching. Yet. I mean, uh, you're talking about it, it matches with Jack Rex, dude. Holy shit. <laughs> it says that you lost an eye when you examine the statue. What? Yeah, what do you think is going to fucking happen in a DLC? <laughs> dude. dude. That, the dude now is Big Boss. Dude, he's fucking a giga chat, dude. I don't care. <laughs> what the fuck happened? I need to know what happened. <laughs> He is um, truly the Giga Chad. He is so. It is so funny. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I, if you can, if you can do, if you can play Rex at dual building, no, both of his wives, then you know, sure. Can you can, can you can you go like a uh, Zoro mode from like One Piece and uh, get, uh-huh. get uh, the third one in his mouth? Let's go. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm in. I'm in. I mean, okay. Before skipping to the last wave of the Torna thing, I think that one thing I really, actually really do like from Wave Three is the roguelike challenge battle, the Arc Sages Gauntlet thing. Like, I want to see it's like a like a like kind of they're kind of doing something neat with the Xenoblade Three battle system and recontextualizing it as like a roguelite sort of like you choose which character you want to go in with. You do these uh, waves and you actually get like bonuses. Um, I think it's very neat. Yeah, and then they, like I want to I want to check it out and see like how they how well they implement this. This is actually a really cool way to like kind of. Do something different that's not just challenge battle, like the typical challenge battles, like time wave based thing. So, yeah, this has the, this has the potential to be something really cool. One yeah, other it, it, one other thing that was like a little footnote is that on the eShop page for the different waves of the expansion pass, they originally said that wave three, they said it's either like estimated date or before April twenty twenty three, and it's releasing in mid February. Which either suggests that they're like ahead of schedule or they are just like really conservative on their initial projection about when these things would launch. So we don't have a date. In February, March or April, whenever we can. Yeah. And so the we don't have a date for Wave 4, but the eShop listing is 2023, like by December 31st. So we'll be at some point this year. You want to even you want to know what's even more bizarre than that? What's that? They gave everyone crossover costumes. For some reason, they gave Tyon the fucking Jin costume, like the of him in his like true form in his battle mode. What the fuck is up with that? We got to give it to someone, I guess. That is so funny. I love it. Tyon is just—he uh, looks like a whore, dude. It's great. Fuck. Why is he so? I don't know. It's kind of amazing, to be honest. And then, and then of course. Uh... Who gets the um? Sorry, I'm blanking here. Senna has got Brigitte's costume, Lan- and Lan- and Lance gets uh, Lance gets uh, Ryan's costume, right? And then and then you have uh, Mia with uh, Nia's Nia's um, like blade co- uh, form costume mm-hmm. sort of sort of deal. Is you who? What is Uni there? Is that Andy Melia? Or that, is that Melia's outfit? It looks like Melia's outfit. I don't know. I don't know what Melia's outfit look like. Yeah, I, it's like her future connected outfit. Oh, maybe okay. Yeah, so I don't know. That, that just that just really caught me off guard. I'm like, they they really. I love I love Tyon uh, Tyon having the gin out. I'm a big fan. So there were a few other things at the Nintendo Direct that I have listed here in our little trailer section of our little outline. I got a trailer. This was one thing that was expected, and I thought it would make a bigger splash than it did, at least for me personally. So we got a trailer for the upcoming. Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Of course, this game is coming out in May. We expected to see more details at the Nintendo Direct. They got a two-minute trailer. This trailer basically shows, um, it focuses on the servants of Ganondorf sweeping over Hyrule. But it's, you know, I watched this trailer, and then I thought about it like 30 minutes later. I'm like, what did I watch? I don't, I didn't remember much of it. Like, I have it a question for you on this trailer. Okay. Does this trailer look like $70 to you? And it just looks—it looks like Breath of the Wild to me. Yes. Oh, is that the, so? Does it look like seventy dollars to you? I don't know. <laughs> I guess that's a no. <laughs> right? Like I don't know. I mean, so what did we see in this trailer? There's vehicles of various it, sorts. Yeah, it looks like fucking Banjo Kazooie. Yeah, everyone's making that joke. <laughs> but I mean, that... there's a bit in this trailer that looks like Zelda falls into a hole. And I know some people are holding out hope, like maybe you play as Link above ground and you play, I don't know, 15% of the game. Everyone wants to play. Is there something? 
people have been begging for Zelda to be playable for like at least like forever. I think I don't want to be mean, but just stop, stop, stop getting yourself like hyped up for something that's probably not going to happen. Look, look, Zelda's new artwork has her holding the Sheikah slate. Okay, I mean. We gotta use the Sheikah Slate, and if she has it, then, you know... I mean, I feel like the number of games <laughs> that, like, Zelda is playable in is, like, you can count them on one hand. It's like... I warriors. And when, like, Spirit Tracks is one of them, sort of. She's, she's a statue. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Expect, like, you know, we'll actually get, like, real info about this game. Like, they'll have, like, a, a dedicated direct for, like, a yeah, month. I, I 100% out. expect, a, like, Zelda direct in early April or something. You know? I mean, like, uh, you know, like that there are things that are like that look cool in here, right? Like, you know, you can fucking grind on the rail, like in like Sonic, you know, like, <laughs> okay, you have homing arrows, you know, it, it, it's kind of, it's kind of like one of those things that like <clears throat> mechanics that felt incidental in Breath of the Wild are feel like they're being more standardized here as like something that they just like normally can do. Well, I guess that, and I, I wonder, this means there's like more avenues to play around and find more fucked up shit with a more expanded, like standardized toolkit at your disposal and more. Or expansive options at your disposal, especially with the vehicle shit too. Like you know, who knows how that'll shape up? But it just feels like things that felt like you found by experimenting in the in in Breath of the Wild feel like they're more standardized here. And since this now now these are like more standardized as features, and hopefully you can build more on top of them, similar to how you experimented in Breath of the Wild to find up more fucked up shit. And think about it like this: Remember in Breath of the Wild, one of the, one of the last DLCs that. The, came to that game it was like they had they gave like a motorcycle in that game i remember getting that motorcycle but then by that point i like well i have nothing else to do in this game exactly. so i turned it off and then didn't, didn't log back i say log back in as if it's an online game i didn't turn it back on like ever since getting that motorcycle i think i played with it for like 30 minutes and then forgot forgot about it <laughs> so yeah oh yeah i mean it's great that like they just have vehicles there like from the get-go instead of like oh yeah we're giving this to you and like everyone's beat this game it's like okay great cool <laughs> I kind I kind of do hope that you can kind of just like build your own like fucked up vehicles like nuts and bolts. We can just like do that. We might be cooking with gas. And I think that covers it for news out of the Nintendo Direct explicitly that we wanted to talk about. I'm looking through our list here, and obviously there was more things discussed, like we talked about Professor Layton and things like that, but specifically in the RPG space in our little purview. There were a few other things that were kind of announced this week outside of the Nintendo Direct, of Wait, course. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before, oh, before, before did I miss one? one? You had Vets Wars. Oh, right. Did I not? I forgot, maybe I forgot to put that in the list or I'm just skipping over it. Advance yeah. Wars finally has a date. I believe it was April 21st. Let me pull up the headline. Yeah, so Advance Wars 1, 1 plus 2 Reboot Camp comes out April 21st. Everyone was expecting like a shadow drop because, you know, this game's yeah. been done for a, a while now. But they're like, no, it's going to take them, you know, some more months. So oh, hopefully, it's not a shadow drop. It was just not the game we'd be expecting. <laughs> it, it was a cool shadow drop, Metroid Prime Remaster. You've been really hacking away at I have, I already beat it. <laughs> um, but yeah, obviously, you know, hopefully, this like this release date is going to be not, hopefully, they're not delaying it anymore. Hopefully, finally, yeah, hopefully like, you know, there's no escalation in the conflicts. Yeah. That, yeah, that'll prompt them to like. That know, makes things awkward. Yeah, I think that's the real reason why people wanted to shower drop, so there would be no more excuse to delay it. Uh-huh. So, you know, one I, thing that's always kind of interesting about this Advance Wars is I don't believe they announced the date in Japan yet. Oh, if they did. Oh. It was very delayed because this game is like being totally handled by like Way Forward, right? 
So I, even the original announcement I remember was like is basically Western centric, and then Japan kind of after the fact. So, well, they 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 began pre-orders again. To, to, this is the direct. So, Godspeed. All right. Now I think that that covers everything from the Nintendo Direct. Thanks. So. Uh, I, I I had the, I had the Advance Wars headline further down in my list, and I didn't see it. Yeah. Uh, there was a, there was a lot of news this week, even outside the Nintendo Direct, which I guess we're going to be transitioning into uh, just now. So this is this is a headline that I've heard I've heard more reaction to this headline this week than I have details about what this headline actually is. And this is a new RPG from Sega and Yoko Taro for mobile devices called. 404 game reset so i am going to hand this off to someone knowledgeable about this game likely josh because what i've heard this week about this new yoko taro project mostly is just a lot of kerfuffle about this being specifically a ios and android game yeah i mean typical hey they they if it's a mobile game release coming only to Japan this year, there's probably going to be no plans uh, that they're, you know, released worldwide. As you said, the game is called 404 Game Reset. What's significant about it is like, hey, Yoko Taro is not working with just Square Enix. He's working with Sega to make a, a video game. That's, uh, and you know, that's not the first mobile game that, you know, Yoko Taro's worked on. So Alice, City of Near Reincarnation, it's kind of just, he has really been working on like a console game since like, I mean, you had the, what was the, those games, Adam? The Voice card game. Cards? voice of cards and like he didn't like forgot if, what his role was on those he was like creative lead but he wasn't like the direct writer yeah yeah so, so this this one's you know obviously kind of bizarre because you know it's gonna be a uh, gotcha mobile game and uh, what are they gonna do this time they're uh, taking classic sega franchise and turning them into anime girls so they, they have it up on their site you have uh character designs for outrun afterburner Virtual Fighter, Virtual Cop. You well, know. you know, it's the only natural extension after mm-hmm. you've done Sega Hard Girls, you have to do Sega Soft Girls. That's, That's true. way worse than actually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Like, the Hardware Girls, okay. Yeah, but they did call them Sega Hard Girls. They were they, before they that wasn't it wasn't with Yoko Taro, but there was a point where uh, Sega did turn their like previous consoles, not wasn't just into Tunia games. Tunia ga- yeah, yeah. yeah it was yeah. like an Atina spinoff of that shit. Yeah, there was there was like it was like a whole thing. Like they had like a dedicated like like show for them, like a short show or whatever, like, like a short. Uh, I will say that's neat. A, that's a crossover I, game. One thing I will say that's neat about that is I think that game actually had like a different coloration for the Dreamcast logo depending on the region you bought it. That's pretty good. <laughs> uh, in Europe. So yeah, so, so instead of like you know turning their hardware past hardware to anime girls, they're now turning to their franchises IPs. Into anime girls with the create with Yoko Taro as the creative director, Yugen as the character designer. With and Yugen, you might know as like I think the were the Sophie character designer, I believe, or Atalia. Forgot. I, I, I think, think for some of the characters, I, I don't know. I don't think they did the entire cast. I think they did some of the cast for the okay. mysterious trilogy. Okay. Yeah, and or then tetralogy. Right. Yeah, they had like 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 the duo artist shtick going on. Or that and then yeah and then you know it's kind of one of those things like you you look at it, it's like all right i guess they're doing this so i don't know i don't know much more than that you know they announced the those four characters revealed them their voice actresses and then kind of the basic setup of the game like the world is not it should be and then you know whatever fucked up story taro has in store but i mean i guess when this comes out i guess i'll look at it and be like all right how stupid is this? And when half of those characters would end up dead because they're dead franchises, like Virtual Cop. 
Dang, dude. Uh, you just figured out the twist. That's fucked up. <laughs> How can you do that? How did you figure out the twist immediately? <laughs> when Yoko Taro the, the, does what there, Sega There's going to be like a big moment in the game. When, when like, they kill Skies of Arcadia. Ooh, and then like, yeah, who do you want to see? Who do you want to see? That, that's a good... Uh, we have, uh, we'll have the like, Skies of Arcadia. Like the dragons going to come in and kill Skies of Arcadia. That's what happened. <laughs> oh, no. Dang. Uh-huh. So I, I, okay, which Sega... IP, I guess. I guess extended IP. If you guys, if you want to put it to like the Yakuza series and Atlas too, but who do you want to see in it as an anime girl child? I want to see what the persona was. I know it's a boring choice, but I want I to see if they'll do Atlas. I don't know. The, 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 <laughs> oh man, I wonder. <laughs> don't you, yeah. Imagine they're just like, okay, that's so. That'd be so funny if they have like if they choose an IP that has like like already anime girl designs and they're like we'll just make a new one to represent the IP. <laughs> wow. It'll be like Falcom Chan in Neptunia. Game. I, I mean, like, like think that, about it. Like Falcom Chan is literally just a gender swap battle. <laughs> look, look. I'm just saying, like, look, like for the Virtua Fighter chick here, it's a only character design with like polygonal Akira as like their stand, I guess, the, behind them instead of like. They like choose like Pi or something to be the representative of Virgil Fighter. They just like had a new anime girl, you know. Just say it, and yeah, I don't know. This is weird. I don't get it. But it's one of those things. Like, how long is this going to be up in service? You know, it's going to launch, and then is it going to go go down in a year, two years? I mean, that the, the, the last longer. cynical of me, but it kind of just it does. Like the whole premise does sound a little bit gimmicky to me. Like, how much staying power could it have? Well, it lasts longer than Sakura Kakume. <laughs> Maybe probably. I have to imagine, yes. But that bet. Remember, they hired the best gotcha company to make a gotcha it's game for quote unquote best gotcha company. Uh-huh. Yes, the light works. Billions of dollars, guys. Uh-huh. Obviously didn't, didn't the light works almost bankrupt on IS on IS? Probably. Was that just Kai RPG? Yeah. That was the Lightworks, right? That, that was forward works, I think. I thought that like forward something because the light breaks didn't work on this guy RPG it was oh. another it was like another Sony subsidiary. Yeah, I'm sorry. I heard works in the title and I thought they were the same company. My yeah, mistake. I, I don't believe that. I mean, I, uh, I don't blame you. I remember, I don't blame you. I remember the, like every single gotcha game the light works has touched is kind of like in the comatose state except for fate grand order i mean they've only touched another one and that's like sakura kakume that's the thing no no right no now. there's a there's a what's it? there's the um magica one as well the um idea record yeah that, that they did not run uh that they were not the developers that, that's like aniplex and like another company that i can i can 100 percent tell you they did not develop is it I, mean, I can go check right now what's the developers but i can tell you right that's not the light works okay <laughs> like I think you want to be able to uh, look at that real fast. Now, I hate you, Chuckles. I have to I have to look at this now. It is by uh, the 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 F four Samurai. That's the the of course uh, Samurai. What the hell yeah. is that? But you you only you only think about because it looks like FGO, so they must have uh, created it, which is a very big fallacy to fall in. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, but the, but that's the whole reason why like. After after the Sakura Kakabe debacle, like they they only pretty much commandeered it and like split them up to into Lasengo. So the FGO side of the Lightworks that were developing it, they were split off from the Lightworks to become Lasengo. So that's why whenever you boot up FGO now in whether in Japan or the global, you see Lasengo and so instead of the Lightworks. That's why. That that's the whole that's the whole like that's a direct direct result from what happened in Sakura Kakabe. Anyway, that's not the fucking point of the fucking story that we're talking about. 
<laughs> yeah, we're getting a little off rails here, but oh, yes, go on. What's the next use? <laughs> yeah. Lost track. Where were we? Oh yeah. Okay. So that was basically for Yoko Taro and Sega's new mobile RPG. This this next major headline is kind of a lot of wishful thinking and a little bit of extrapolation. Obviously, a release that is coming out this month that we've talked about a little bit last week on the podcast is Theater Rhythm Final Bar Line. Uh, there have been a few interviews over in Europe with. Uh, Final Fantasy Dream and Finaland and Final Fantasy Ring. We're basically Square Enix is on the marketing tour talking about Final Bar Line. Uh, one of hey, let these. Me let me take over. Oh, okay. Since I did this article. So, yeah, four different French Final Fantasy websites had the, the producer of Theater Rhythm came to like literally, you know, sat with them to talk about Theater Rhythm mostly as well as other games in the series. And so they kind of had, they had did like a four outlet interview with the Theater Rhythm. Producer whose name is Ichiro Kazuma, I believe, and uh, so they asked him about a bunch of different things. And one of the interviewers basically asked, kind of broadly, in celebratory games like Theater Rhythm and also Dissidia Opry Omnia, which is, as far as I can tell, pretty darn does pretty well. Why aren't we? Why don't we see more characters from like Final Fantasy Tactics in these games? You know, all these series are presented, but in Tactics a little bit. But why don't we see more? And basically, the producer's answer was, is, well, when we are introducing characters to these sorts of games, how we do that is we go to basically like the creative lead of that team or of that game. So, for example, if they want to introduce a new Final Fantasy VII character, they go to Nomura and Bass like, we want to introduce this character and he's going to, they're going to be, you know, have this ability and they're going to look like this and whatnot and make sure it's, you know, all consistent. So they, they, they do that for tactics. But he said, and this is the, this is the interesting quote that we pulled out of this is, well, the, tac- the team that handles tactics is extremely busy at the moment, and that is why there are not more tactics characters in games like Op- Opera Omnia and Theater Rhythm. So basically, the nugget here is, what is the tactics team busy on right now? Now, when they say the tactics team, it's not like specifically clear what exactly that means, but it's very likely that it's the team that was behind Final Fantasy XII Zodiac Age, Dungeon Encounters, and also the recently released Tactics Ogre Reborn, lead guy there the producer is uh, rocky kato and i know i've seen some people argue like well maybe they were just referring to tactics over reborn that just came out and which is possibility but this interview was just conducted like a couple like earlier this month and so this kazuma said kazuma excuse me said that they were extremely busy like at the moment so what are they busy on something the fact that they're working on a game isn't really surprising but like now it's just, you know, fun speculation time. What are they working on? Uh, the reason why there's some ammunition behind this is that there have been murmurs of a Final Fantasy Tactics remaster ever since that NVIDIA leak back in 2000. I was like, what did that NVIDIA leak say? <laughs> yeah. So that NVIDIA leak has become more and more true. There, there's been games like Voice of Cards and Tactics Ogre and... Chrono Cross remaster that all first appeared on that leak and basically, you know, have since been announced and released, except for Tactics or except for Final Fantasy Tactics remaster as well as Final Fantasy IX remake. So there's evidence to show that that leak was real and those games were real, and we just need to, you know, see how they manifest. So that's basically all it was. It's just kind of like a fun, speculative, like they're working on something 
And this producer basically referenced that. Well, I'm just saying, like, uh, clearly, the, at least the theater that has more respect uh, of, uh, like, uh, actually going to the matters than, like, the War of the Visions Brave XPS team is, like, fucking bring all those fucking FF Tactics characters in our collab. <laughs> they just fucking brought a shitload, like, the well, last time I checked in on them. All right. They don't care what the fuck they're doing. We're bringing those characters in our game. I mean, Theatrobin's always felt like a love letter to the series, like, especially with all, like, the art pieces you unlock and all that stuff. So it's really cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Unlike War of the Visions, uh, godless, lawless, no respect, shameful. We did a, get a few other trailers for upcoming games outside the Nintendo Direct. I'm not sure how much we'll dive into each of these. Uh, first one is a game that we mentioned in passing previously. Uh, obviously coming out in March since its delay from its original February release. We've got Atelier Ryza 3, Alchemist of the End and the Secret Key. So Gust has been pretty deep into the marketing cycle for Rise of 3 for a while now. We've talked about a lot of the returning characters and a lot of the gameplay systems. So we got a trailer that is an opening movie for the game and some details and screenshots of the game's exploration system. So kind of pretty in the granular parts of the marketing cycle for Rise of 3 at this point. Coming out in a little over a month, March 24th here in the West. Another trailer that we got for another March release is, or sorry, why did I say this was a March release? February release this is actually releasing just in the time next week. This will be out. Uh, Wild Hearts. So this is the Electronics Arts published monster hunting game being developed by Omega Force. Uh, we've talked about a few of the trailers that they've released on this game, introducing some of the uh, Karakuri and the um, boar. What's the the boar tusk? Wild boar monster creature was one of the first ones they revealed. Uh, we got another showcase trailer called A World Gone Wild, which is basically a CG trailer kind of just giving some flavor for what the game is and narrative premise and what some of the monsters you'll encounter. This and... is a really like fast trailer, just like always moving. It feels like almost like a commercial. I mean, I know that's what trailers are, but this isn't like, this isn't like, it doesn't feel like, it's not like a game cinematic. It's, it's all CG. Like, yeah. It's a CG like lengthy commercial. We're showing like a lot of the armor sets and and monsters and things like that. It's very upbeat, and they they also highlight the the music is from from the composer. Let me let me pull up the name. Is it a composer who is supposedly well known? I'll just be honest and say I'm not very familiar with them. Chucky Zulu. Uh, yeah, Chucky Zulu. So I'd um, like to I'd like to see like very little like what it, like gameplay footage this game outside like like the one time they like showed actually like like the U I think they showed UI. I can't remember now, but like. Mm -hmm. I've been like purposely kind of like like just dodgy like much footage about this game. I just kind of like want to go into it as like kind of as blind as possible, almost. I, I'm just uh, the the trailer that I latched onto most was the first one, and it's King Tusk. That's the name I was forgetting. Like showing the three hunters fighting the King Tusk and the different things that they were building. Because like if you're not trying to be charitable, you can call this like Monster Hunter Cross Fortnite or whatever, where you where you build the different contraptions in order to help with the hunt. So, uh, yeah, so I saw the trailer with the original look at, like, the three-way fight with King Tusk and the Karakuri and the three the three hunters using the different weapon types and things like that. So, obviously, Omega Force has a, a bit of a pedigree, not as much as, you know, Capcom's Monster Hunting team, of course, but uh, this game has kind of surprising to see EA publishing a game like this, but we've kind of seen similar things with, like, Activision having success publishing Sekiro um, from software. So, hopefully, EA sees a similar sort of success here with their, with a Monster Hunter, a Monster Hunting uh, like i guess you can put it that way it's the first monster hunter like that we've seen like on a console that wasn't like a portable console because i because i've played like tweak it into or tokaiden 2 uh, 
and Soul Sacrifice. It's really cool to see something else in the same space in the console space again. So I'm excited, and this is coming out on the 17th. So by the time we're talking next week on the podcast, this game will be out. And I I think there's an early access period if you pre-order this game digitally or something like that. I'm not sure. I'm not really familiar with EA's publishing incentives and things like that. But uh, we might be talking about this game next week. So a new trailer for it uh, this last seven days with the CG commercial feel like Adam described. I think that mostly covers it for like kind of the main information obviously all the headlines from the nintendo direct and a few trailers uh, go in here as we wrap up this podcast with a few dates some demos and some release dates and a, and a sales update here here we'll talk about this one first uh, this one preceded the nintendo direct but it's nintendo focus financials uh, released their quarterly financials for quarter three of 2023's fiscal year uh, just in this last week and primarily the big update here surprise is that pokemon scarlet and violet are selling like gangbusters they have reached a combined 20.6 million units shipped uh, in comparison to uh, how does that compare to sword and shield adam this is selling at a much faster pace so it's in the article oh i see it yes so sword yeah. and shield reached uh, 16 million in its first quarter uh, sword and yeah. shield lifetime go ahead james sorry i didn't mean to talk over you i was just gonna say it's like uh, sword and shield were the best-selling Pokemon games since uh, Gold and Silver. Uh, if Scarlet and Violet keep selling this well, it might be the games in the franchise that are the first to uh, outsell Red and Blue. Yeah, and that's to put some numbers to that, Sword and Shield Lifetime are at 25.6 million. After their first quarter, they were at 16 million. Right now, Scarlet and Violet is splitting the difference. They're at about 21. They're just shy of 21. So yeah, they're at a pace faster than Sword and Shield. It's just, it's just kind of crazy to think about, like, oh, so the Scarlet and Violet sold like roughly four million more units than the previous mainline entry. Like four million is just the difference. Yeah, four million just the margin. When we're talking about yeah. RPGs like Xenoblade, that would love to sell four million or things like right. that. Lifetime. So Pokemon is still big. Surprise. I still, I do believe, I still think I have my Pokemon Scarlet card like in my Switch. Eventually, I will get back to it. <laughs> And then the rest of the uh, lines here are mostly release dates. I believe I have these in chronological order. We'll see how true that is. In February, we are going to get a DLC release for uh, one of the unheralded releases of last year. Uh, Again, that Adam covered pretty thoroughly, and that is Asteragos, Curse of the Stars. This was a debut project from Acme Game Studio. It is getting a DLC pack called Call of the Paragons, which is launching on February 23rd. This is both a paid update coincided, coinciding with a free update to the game as well. Uh, it seems like it's kind of a very very standard action RPG fare for an update. You go to New Land, there's something like seven new boss fights, uh, a new story chapter. So not sure if, Adam, if you've got any time on your plate to uh, to make room for this one. I, or I am interested in checking it out, but I do not have time on my plate. He gotcha. has to do another playthrough of Metroid Prime Remastered. He has to do the new game plus. Mm-hmm. Yep. We have a release date for one of Nice America's titles. This is Monster Menu, the Scavenger's Cookbook. Uh, this is going to be releasing in May. It came out over a year and a half ago, in, or about a year and a half ago in January, in January 2022 in Japan, but it'll be releasing this year in May, 23rd in North America, the 26th in Europe. And we got a new uh, gameplay trailer coinciding with the release date. Uh, is that true? I think it came out in January 2021. 
or was no, it 2022 2022 okay so yeah the the monster menu the scavengers cookbook did get a new system trailer this week as well the reason why i wasn't sure about that is that we had the announcement news of the release date in may and then i saw the trailer was linked to that just wanted to double check that that yes was a new trailer and wasn't just an old trailer type right paper paper clip to it but yep got a new trailer coming out in may this is the game that was, had a long title in Japanese that we just affectionately called Monyu. Uh, now it's Monster no, Menu. That's a different. That's no, a that's different, different game. Entirely. <laughs> that's different. Uh, in the Experience Inc. Uh, DRPG, that's literally like I think the translated title is uh, "Defeat Strong Monsters and Gather Strong uh, Other Equipment." We believe in the day in which the Demon Lord will be defeated. That's I awesome. think that's the title, <laughs> <laughs> which is not. Monster menu for lock- localization by Axis Games, but they haven't released anything on it since. I got that for like a hundred yen when it was on sale in the Japanese eShop, and I thought, oh, I'll play this eventually. Haven't had the chance. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, Nice America, Void Terrarium Two does also have a um a free demo that was just announced this last week as well. I don't think there's any new news on that game other than the fact that the demo uh, is now available. Uh, we already talked about Sea of Stars is releasing on August 29th for PlayStation 4 and 5, Switch, and PC. The demo is now available. The demo is limited to Switch only. And the last piece of news here is about a departure from uh, Square Enix. This is Dragon you Quest. Missed, you missed one of the most important demo uh, announcements. Uh, did I miss one? What did I miss? Oh, Darkest Dungeon 2. No. <laughs> no? What else you missed did I miss? Wolong. Oh, Wolong. Why is that one important? Because it's Wolong. Okay, so Wolong is very good. Wolong Fallen Dynasty is getting a free demo, and it already had one demo period, but now it's getting a, another, like, assumingly not limited time demo, uh, slated for February twenty fourth. Uh, and this is uh, the demo, I believe. Adam didn't put any details here in the news post. It's I assume it's for all consoles, PlayStation, Xbox, and PC. Yeah, PC demo is a big deal. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Uh, hey, shout out to more fucking PC demos. Octopath yeah. 2 and Volong. Dang. Yeah. Uh, is, this, is this the year of PC demos once more? Did, did everyone get the deal field have to pave the path? <laughs> we all we all owe deal fields. That's right. Time to write up a future. This is why deal field is the most important games of this generation. Deal field sweep. Oh, we'll, right. we'll be able to revisit that in March with its new DLC. It's a PC demo for the new DLC. <laughs> Isn't it uh, like an update rather than the DLC? Yeah, yeah. Like a, it's like a you can play a new story or new story perspective essentially. Yeah, and then I missed this one too. Uh, Arcus Dungeon Two also got a release date. It is it's been in early access for like for a year now on the Epic Game Store. However, it's 1.0 release for Darkest Dungeon 2 will be on May 8th for both the Epic Game Store and Steam for PC. I hope it's good. I've heard from some people that have played the uh, early access release that it is um, middling. So. All right, and I sorry I jumped the gun on this. I'll revisit it now. Uh, this The last piece of news here is a departure from Square Enix. This is Dragon Quest series producer Ryota Aomi and basically made an announcement on Twitter in the last week saying that he has begun a new adventure at his next company. Though as far as I can tell, we don't have any other Which details company? other than that. Do we yeah, have that yeah. information? Yeah. I don't think we have uh, information on the company, but... He was saying, he's not he's not like a producer of like all the Dragon Quest games. He's primarily producer on like the Dragon Quest Heroes. 
GameStop or Bob. Yeah, so some people I think are making this a bigger deal than it is. Yeah. The executive the executive general producer, sorry, the general producer for Dragon Quest is Yuki Nobachita. He's still there. The executive producer for Dragon Quest is Yu Miyaki. They're still there. The producers for Dragon Quest and Dragon Quest Eleven S are still there. The producer of Dragon Quest Treasures is still there. This person, Aobi, was the producer of Heroes, so he's no longer there. Yeah, those are like the action RPGs that were like from like so Mega Force on uh, developing those. I think they I think so. Yeah, they were they were fun games. You know, uh, you know, best of luck to them. You know, Wiener Pastures and all that stuff. So you know, hopefully, they they kill it at their 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 new. Where they're going next, you know, Dragon Quest. I, I really like the Dragon Quest Heroes games. Fond memories of them. Good stuff. And that's the last headline I have. So that kind of covers this for this episode of the podcast. And for a week that contains a Nintendo Direct, I look at the timestamp on our recording, and we're about the three-hour mark. Uh, it's, right. It seems about right for Nintendo Direct week. Of course, by the time this this cleaned up, it might be a little bit less than that, but. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. Hopefully we were able to provide some fun insight and impressions on all the new announcements from the Nintendo Direct, as well as our impressions of the demos available now on Switch with both the um, Sea of Stars. We didn't talk about the Octopath demo, but that's that demo is just kind of a three-hour head start is mostly what it is. So obviously we'll be able to talk about Octopath at a full capacity once it releases later in the month. So I'm not concerned about that, but really cool to talk about some of the options available on Steam Next Fest, which a lot of those, a lot or all of those demos are limited availability. So go check this out if there's anything you're interested in. You can read the two features that we called out on our podcast up at rpgsite.net. That's the Wandering Sword preview that Josh put up, as well as Cullen's Harvestella review. You can find RPG Site on all the social media platforms. We're on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search for RPG Site and you should be able to find us. You can join our Discord channel by hitting the link at the top of our homepage or going to discord.gg slash RPG site. The link and we should also be in the YouTube video description, I think. Yeah, yeah, it should be, as well as uh, I think all the social links are in the YouTube description as well. And then, of course, yeah, if you uh, if you enjoyed this or if you have any feedback, positive or otherwise, uh, please go ahead and leave us a comment on our YouTube video, on our Spotify upload or on our site side upload. I uh, do love seeing that feedback so we can adjust uh, accordingly and just hearing Hopefully what you think. The, uh level five fans aren't too mad at us yeah we apologize <laughs> and then of course we'll be next week with another episode of the tetracast and as you all know february has a lot going on so we will have a lot to talk about i'm not not i don't have any doubt about that so until then stay safe and take care we will talk to you next time happy 25th anniversary xeno gears later everyone <laughs>